0: This is Jocko podcast number 362, with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. So, I was in officer candidate school, 1998. Uh, It's it's a form of military indoctrination. Mm. I was already in the military. I had already been indoctrinated in the military. So as I was going through it, I could kinda, I was a little bit more detached. You know, I could see a little bit more, had a little bit more experience. And there's all kinds of procedures and protocols that you have to follow when you're going to officer candidate school. You gotta, you gotta f- fold your underwear sure. into a five inch by five inch square for a locker inspection. You've got a. Me- they come and measure it with a steel ruler. The drill instructors, Marine Corps drill instructors, they have a. They have like their own personal. You know, some somebody has a possession that you can see. It kind of has a certain level of pride to it. They ha- would have these steel rulers and slap it down on that thing and they're gonna measure your handkerchief and your t-shirts and all this stuff. And it's about attention to detail, which is cool. It's about protocols, learning protocols, and, and inspecting each other so as a team, so you might check my locker and we're trying to help each other out. But one thing that always stuck stuck with me on the protocol level was the belt buckle that you had. So you get issued this belt buckle. And this belt buckle, when you get issued it, it's shiny gold. And it's it's shiny gold. It's probably brass, actually, but then there's a, a clear enamel coat on it. And what that means is you can buy this thing and it won't just tarnish because it's got this really strong, clear enamel coat on. it. It's very thin, but that's what keeps it from tarnishing. But you can still get fingerprints on the enamel. So you could have a belt buckle that has like a fingerprint on it or a smudge on it. So you would wipe them off. You, you kind of like wipe down your Your belt buckle now here's the thing at some point this had evolved to where you would take your belt buckle that had this enamel on it and you would polish it until the enamel was gone and so now it could tarnish so you remove the protective layer so that it could tarnish so something that started as a good idea which is you buff the belt buckle so there's no fingerprints on it um, escalated over time to where you were polishing this thing until all the enamel was removed and now it would tarnish more easily and it's actually hard to take care of now. So this, this thing that started with good intent, oh, you're gonna make sure there's no fingerprints on it, turned into craziness. <laughs> and people, no one knows where it started. Like no one knows when it got stupid. And no one knows we ended up when we ended up at Officer Candidate School making people do something stupid, but we did it. And this can happen with anything. Now there's a there's a similar term in or I shouldn't say in a similar situation, there's a term in political discourse called the Overton window. The Overton window, which was this is originated, this term was originated by a guy that was named Joseph Overton, who was a political scientist and a like a libertarian type dude. And he actually died flying an ultralight at age 43. But this idea of the Overton window is that there's a there's a window in the acceptance of ideas. So ideas go through a transition. So let's say there's an idea out there, it starts off, when the idea first comes to light, it's totally unthinkable. Totally unthinkable, meaning totally unacceptable. And then it actually, as people talk about it more and it becomes more familiar, it goes from being unthinkable or totally unacceptable to just radical. Like so you're not saying, oh, that's unacceptable, you're just saying, oh, that's that's pretty radical. And then eventually it moves to being like a fringe idea but now it's moving into the acceptable category, then eventually it becomes acceptable and then it becomes sensible and then it becomes popular and then it eventually becomes policy. And there's a bunch of things that kind of, we've watched go through this evolution. I mean, tattoos, right? Tattoos, years ago, tattoos were kind of unacceptable in normal society, it was like bikers. Bikers had tattoos and, and convicts had tattoos. It wasn't normal. Now, the, the tattoos are basically totally acceptable. Long hair for men, which I don't support. <laughs> but, but hey, but long hair for men in the 1940s, totally unacceptable. In the 1950s and 60s, it was in the 50s, it was like radical. In the 60s, it was like kinda normal, now it's just acceptable. So as people push the envelope with behavior, the Overton window expands and things become more acceptable and norms change over time. And it's also true that as one part of the Overton window opens, another part closes. So years ago, if you were firing someone because they had a tattoo or you fired someone because they had long hair, Now that would be unacceptable. The guy had long hair, you can't just fire someone because they had long hair, that would be unacceptable now. So what am I talking about? How do these two things relate, the belt buckle and the Overton window? Well, it certainly seems to me that as we look at the way society is evolving today, the Overton window of what's acceptable has expanded and moved so much that it, it might not make sense anymore. What some things that are now not only acceptable, but now sort of getting pushed, you wonder if, they're, if they make sense and maybe they could actually even be harmful. And I think if we, if we as people aren't careful, we can kind of slowly drift around inside that Overton window from the positive of having an open mind to to an extreme to where there's no more guardrails, there's no more framework, and there's no more baseline of what's acceptable and what's isn't. So a friend of mine, it seems to me, has been trying to maintain some kind of sanity, some kind of rationality to the expansion of the Overton window to apply some baseline to the world. And I think it's been a pretty good fight for her. I think she's just getting warmed up. Uh, she's a former congresswoman. She's a former presidential candidate. She's an army officer, Iraq war veteran, podcaster, surfer, martial artist, and Hawaiian. She's been on this podcast before, episode 272. Her name is Tulsi Gabbard, and it's an honor to have her back with us tonight. Tulsi Gabbard.
1: <laughs> Aloha.
0: How's it going? <laughs> there's been a lot of there's been a lot going on in your world. Yeah. It's been crazy it's been kind of crazy to watch. When you came on this podcast for the first time, um you were a Democratic th- I don't know if you were running for president. Were you running for president at the time?
1: I think um if I'm not mistaken, this was in late twenty twenty.
0: Hmm. I don't know, I should have te- checked and the dates. And so
1: I think the, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think the presidential campaign was finished okay. at that point in time. And we were talking about uh, okay. how it went. Yeah,
0: yeah, well, it's it's always interesting to me because I have, some of my friends are uh, dope, smoke, dope smoking hippies, some of them are right wing, conservative, fundamentalist Christians and everything in between. And when you came on my podcast, You know, some of the, the first time you came on, the, some of my super conservative friends were like, yo, why are you giving her a platform? I was like, oh, cause she's cool and I like her. (laughs) And then some of my dope smoking hippie friends were like, hell yeah, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) So you, you know, you you had sort of a, I think you had a a reputation or an image, I think, and you, more than that, I think you just get categorized, right? You were a Democrat at the time, which I know you aren't At the anymore. Time. <laughs> yep. Uh, so what happened, man? What <laughs> happened? Let's just talk about that. So you left the Democratic Party.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll just say um for as long as I've been in politics, people who like to put other humans in categories have always had trouble putting me in a category. Mm-hmm. Um just because I've always been a very independent minded person. So, you know, I first ran for office in 2002 in Hawaii. I was 21 years old, very passionate about environmental issues and protecting the beauty of our home in Hawaii, the water, oceans, and and that was my motivation to run for state house. And, you know, prior to that point, I had no, like, familial political affiliation. There was no, like, you know, my daddy and granddaddy were Democrats, so I have to be a Democrat. My parents were very like, hey, you, you go make your own decisions, figure out you know, what, what? what is your foundational principles? And so at that time, I, I really had to look because I had to you know, file the piece of paper saying I'm running for office and there was a box to check, like, okay, fine, what party are you gonna run under? And so I started looking at um, kind of the origins of, in Hawaii, the Democratic Party, Hawaii had been under the rule of a few very wealthy Republicans uh, since it became a territory of the United States and then later through statehood. And the shift towards democratic politics in Hawaii came about because um, of plantation workers, people who were be- being treated like crap, like in, in uh, inhumane conditions, being paid pennies for working super long hours. It was, it was basically like glorified slave labor. And so it was the Democratic Party and the ILWU that came in and was like, no, this is not okay. And, and so it was the party that, in our history in Hawaii, was the big tent inclusive party? It was the party for the people. It was the party that stood up against those few very wealthy people in power, and said, "No, you can't just abuse people like this." Uh, it was the party that stood for civil liberties and individual freedom and choice. Like, hey, whatever your personal choice is, whether it's free speech or freedom of religion or whatever it is, like live and let live. We can disagree without being disagreeable. And so I, I looked at the party in Hawaii and I looked at leaders like JFK and Dr. Martin Luther King, and I was drawn to the Democratic Party for those reasons. Because again, in, in my as I looked at Hawaii, it's like, these super rich Republican dudes have been abusing their power to fill their pockets at the expense of the well-being of the people. And so fast forward, um, I left the Democrat Party because All of those things that I just talked about are gone. The leaders of today's Democratic Party don't believe in um, really freedom, basically what it comes down to. And you look at that freedom of choice, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of religion, and um, you know there's a lot of other issues that that I could get into. But ultimately, how do you have a political party that's in power that? Doesn't believe in freedom and is actively taking action to undermine our Constitution and Bill of Rights, and that was really what was at the the crux of of why I left um, the Democrat Party.
0: Was there a straw that broke the camel's back?
1: There wasn't one single moment, but it was really over the last like few years, two three years, seeing this increasing. Um, like quickly escalating towards um policies coming from our government that really frankly were becoming increasingly authoritarian and so you know it caused me to kind of spend time reflecting and being introspective like wait hold on a second and people saying like how can you still be how can you call yourself a democrat and and I was obviously I've like I said, I've always been an independent-minded person. I, I've been critical of people in power, uh, whether they were Republicans or Democrats, and also complimentary when I felt like they did things that were good for the country. But, um, you know, looking looking at at the dangerous combination of what we've seen over the last few years, especially of people in power who don't believe in the Constitution, who openly question things like the First Amendment and right to free speech— coupled with, oh, by the way, they control and are politicizing agencies like the Department of Justice and the FBI and Department of Homeland Security uh, sicking the domestic newly formed domestic terror unit of the Department of Homeland Security on parents like protesting at Board of Education meetings because they're like, well, we don't agree with what you guys are trying to teach our young kids at school. And, and to see that playing out before our eyes and this culture of fear where if you speak out against this stuff and and call it for what it is you are immediately labeled anti-authority and also therefore coming from our government an extremist and a potential threat a potential domestic threat and so that's why you're talking about the, the Overton window and you, and you look at like, okay, well, you take people having open minds and like, okay, well, I can consider you know, someone else's perspective even if I don't agree with it, which is how things should be in general. And then you take it to that next level where you're saying, well, there are no guardrails anymore. And this is what's so dangerous is, is when you have, again, people are entitled to their own opinions, but when you have people in positions of power in this country who deny the existence of objective truth as they are, then where where is, like, where's the floor? Where's the guardrails? Where's the ceiling? How do you measure anything? Well, it's like, okay, well, whatever's true is whatever they say is true. But then what happens when when they're gone and the next person or group of people come in or the next party, and then what if they don't agree with what that group says is true or false? And, and so... Um, and then you couple that with the fear factor and cancel culture and and people literally seeing what happens to people like me, where you, you just say like, hey, well, this is what's happening. And it's crazy. It's insane. And then I get called all kinds of names and, and all kinds of stuff, uh, all kinds of attacks. And so no wonder so many people are afraid to do the equivalent of like, uh, yeah, obviously the emperor has no clothes. Like we can all see it. And there's a lot of concern about what's happening, but so few people feel like they have the ability to speak up without being worried about losing their job, or being shunned by friends or family members, or being like that crazy person. <laughs> 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 um, and so this is this is kind of one thing that's been that's been interesting and and hope inspiring is is you know I put out this this kind of long and in depth statement talking about some of these very specific examples of. What's wrong with today's Democrat Party? And I've been hearing from a lot of people—people people I know, a lot of people I don't know—in person, on social media. People just saying, like, like in a really serious and heavy kind of way, "Thank you for bringing voice to the things that I've been feeling and been frustrated with, and but you know haven't been able to give voice to." And uh, so I'm, my hope is that you know. The more we speak up, the more people feel as though they can speak up. And uh, yeah, uh, how, how do we protect people? How do we protect our freedoms that are under attack by exercising them?
0: Yeah, I was, you know, I always like to like cover a book on this podcast. Yeah. On what, when you were coming on, I said, I was thinking about covering the book Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, this is a book, you know, this is a guy that, Uh, this is a book that Hillary Clinton wrote her thesis on when she graduated from college but there's some of those rules one of the one of the rules is hold them to their own rules right and that's what what you're talking about when you say hey this is America we have an open mind and so you go okay cool then you have to accept everything right that's like one of those things you can't say anything (laughs) negative about anybody anytime or your you're not following your own rules of you're
1: something phobic right right everything right, right, is something right. phobic you just add whatever it is at the beginning of yeah. it
0: yeah and another one of the rules that he talks about is the power of ridicule mm-hmm. so when you just go on a an obliterating attack on a person it's overwhelming for him and it, it works and it's worked a lot mm-hmm. to to shut people down and shut them up and that's uh you can see some of these, the way that these these rules are implemented, and and that's another thing. You know, as I talk about that that uh, belt buckle thing, and you don't know where it came from, and there's a bunch of things like that in the middle. There's a bunch of traditions. You go, why are we? This is stupid. Why yeah. are we doing this? And you do, and people don't really know where it came from. And I think some of the things that are going on with society right now, if you start to pull the thread on where it actually initiated, a lot of it, it uh, did initiate. In like the radicals, the communists in the '60s that were trying to trying to make their impact, and I, and I honestly don't think a lot of people that are fully on that on board with that program know where it came from. Today, yeah. they're just doing what they kind of learned. Yeah. Cause that was, you know, a big goal was to take over the universities, which obviously they did a pretty good job, pretty good job yeah. taking over the universities. What is it, the universities b- vote 99, something like 99% democratic in yeah. universities. That That's obviously, you're not gonna get a very balanced education if that's what you're going through. And then the scary thing is, and this is another thing we've talked about a bit on this podcast, and it is the, just the the complete, plasticity of people's brains Mm. and how people can you get into an echo chamber or you get you start following and listening to certain things it's going to take over your mind and that's really really scary Mm -hmm. and you know I've been saying lately like everyone's getting brainwashed I'm getting brainwashed right now like that's what's happening if you're watching if you're listening if you're opening your mind and letting other things in there You're gaining brainwashed you're and that's what's happening to everybody all the time That's what this I mean It's sort of like it's a combination of brainwashing and learning right if you're learning you're kind of getting brainwashed You're you're bringing in new ideas, but then you see people that are learning ideas that aren't Essentially, they're not good. They're not healthy and it's very very disturbing and and especially nowadays where that brainwashing is in your pocket yeah. and at any moment you can pull it out and you can, you can get brainwashed I- at any moment. And it's really, really scary. Um, and especially, you know, the, the moldability of children. Yeah. 14 year olds, 12 year olds, 19 years old, tw- you know, it's like when I joined the military, you're going to get brainwashed to some level. hmm I got in trouble when I went to boot camp. Um
1: well, that I actually, surprises me. I
0: actually I didn't get in trouble because they didn't know who said it. They th- we had to fill out a form like about how boot camp was going, but it was anonymous. And they wrote something like, you know, what do you think of the program so far? And I, and I wrote uh the brainwashing has been very effective. That's what, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I wrote. How uh, old were you at the time? 19? Uh, okay. 18 or 19? Yeah. And um you know, it's because I had a very rebellious mind, you know, cause I was like, what was I brainwashed by? I was brainwashed before I joined the military by hardcore music and punk rock mm-hmm. and like anti-authoritarianism. And so for me, they were trying to hit me with that stuff and I kind of had some good resistance to it. So I kind of like, oh, they're trying to brainwash me. And then I kind of made a joke about it. The brainwashing has been, you know, effective thus far, which that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get you to like change your brain a little bit yeah. and think in a different way. and. And, uh, but at least I, I think, I think I always had that rebellious streak in me that always questions everything. And to this day, when I see something online, I'm like, Oh, well, what's their angle? Yeah. What's the angle over there? Cause there's exactly. the, everyone's got an angle. Everyone does, which is, which is disturbing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so this is what's happening now with kids and you can see it and it's sad. Yeah. It's so sad to see. I listened to a podcast that you did, uh, on your podcast, which is called The Tulsi Gabbard Show, with, uh, what is it, is it called Detransitioning?
1: Yeah, with Chloe
0: Cole. That was horrifying. Exactly. It was absolutely horrifying. Um, give us a quick brief on her.
1: So Chloe Cole, um, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because it's a perfect example of what you're talking about here. Uh, she grew up in here in California. She was a tomboy as a kid growing up, uh, loved playing video games, loved hanging out with her brothers. And at 11 years old, she got a smartphone, started an Instagram account. She was a tomboy, didn't have many female friends, didn't really fit in much at school, so was looking for some kind of companionship, uh, friendship, sense of belonging online. And the algorithms on Instagram specifically she talks about immediately started feeding her um posts and and uh, accounts of of young girls and women who had who who are identifying as boys or men who are trans or talking about how much happier they were by doing so and and all of this and then she had people around her who were telling her well like if you're not happy as you are then you're obviously a boy stuck in a girl's body um i'm going to just be and, and just she's She's 12? 11, she's 11, 11, 12. 11 years old. Her name is Chloe. At 12 years old, she told her parents, she wrote them a long letter, and and the gist of it was, I am a boy, and I want you to call me Leo. I encourage you to listen to the story in her voice as she tells it, because it is Heartbreaking and so powerful. Um, You watch it on YouTube. You just look into her eyes. She's 18 Mm -hmm. now, and so. But but the the summary is um, she starts taking puberty blockers when she's like 12, 13 years old, and she was very certain about what she wanted to do. Uh, Her parents were naturally pretty confused and not knowing what to do to best care for and love their daughter. And uh, so they, they went out and started looking for health professionals to like, hey, just like educate us, talk talk us through this. What, what are the, you know, potential medical and health ramifications of our daughter taking these puberty blockers? And, and with the exception of one endocrinologist who told them like, hey, this we don't know what the negative consequences might be both in the short term and the long term to this because there's just, you know, it's not been studied it very well. There's no long history of cases that, that we can point to to say, well, here's what you can expect based on fact and science. And so this endocrinologist was saying like, I would encourage you to think very seriously before doing this because it could end up badly, essentially. Um, I forget what the name, I think it was a gender specialist is what they are called who were helping guide her through this. Every other medical professional that she went to see basically urged her and encouraged her to move forward with this and ultimately told her parents who were expressing some concern and reservations, you have a choice between having a live son or a dead daughter. And Chloe says that up until that, like at that point she had never once had a suicidal thought enter her mind. So this this warning and essentially this threat that these medical professionals were giving to this young girl's parents, a live son or a dead daughter, you decide, was based on nothing according to Chloe's medical history. Fast forward, she ends up getting a double mastectomy when she's 15 years old to continue this transition. She talks about how they call it top surgery to try to, you know, soften what what it really is. And it was after she got that surgery that she had a realization, I think she was 16 at the time, that she would know she would never be able to breastfeed her child. Ever. She that had been taken away from her because of this this decision. And, you know, she talks about how she was asked at different points along this path from when she was 12 through 15, like, okay, well, here's all these medical disclosures, and, you know, you might not be able to have kids. This could affect your fertility. And at 12 years old, she's like, man, I don't want kids. Like, how does a 12 year old girl make that decision? And then again, at 15 before the surgery, like, okay, well, you might not be able to do this or have kids or breastfeed. And, you know, again, children not being equipped to make these decisions. At 16, she experienced incredible regret and realized she'd make the biggest mistake of her life. and then began to uh, walk down that path of quote unquote, detransitioning and she talks about what that meant in practical terms in her conversations with her parents and friends and family being completely shunned by this group of, you know people who are, pushing this, um, this trans and gender ideology. Now, now people who celebrated her one day and the very next day once she was like, no, I've made the biggest mistake of my life, completely shunning her, calling her names, giving her death threats online. Doctors who had cared for her one day, the next day once she had made this decision, not returning phone calls or telling her like, you know she's still having um, serious medical issues based on the, the mastectomy she had that she can't figure out what to do with. And the doctors are like, oh, just put some Vaseline on there. And, and ultimately these doctors are not providing her with the kind of care that she needs or being responsive at all. So she, she's actually filed a lawsuit against these doctors and um, Kaiser um, that she dealt with along the way. Uh, which is so brave of her to do. She's so incredibly courageous to be doing what she's doing and speaking out and actively encouraging others to do the same, so that people are able to be better informed. But that that social contagion uh, that she talks really clearly about of uh, the algorithms having such a heavy influence on her as a young girl uh, to ultimately bring her to make this decision, uh, along with other other things as well. But. Um, the the lack of I guess I guess this phenomenon in our society right now, where there's no open conversation about this that she could turn to that her family could turn to to say to get a differing perspective or differing view to where doctors feel afraid to say anything about it. I talked to a friend of mine who's an ER doc actually in California, and he said, Tulsi, I I, I you know would say this off the record, but there are a lot of kids who are coming into the ER. Uh, who are experiencing, you know, suicidal thoughts or deep depression or other medical issues because of this uh, transition of of people who are similarly like Chloe Cole, regretting these decisions that they've made as kids, and but nobody's talking about it, you know. Even from from the very top of of you know where he works, it was just like all of a sudden, okay, hey guys, we're doing this now, and by the way, it's a very um, profitable venture, knowing that not only the initial treatments, but you're basically once once somebody comes and tells you they want to do this, you're, you're talking about years of follow-on care and drugs and, all, and so on and so forth. But there was no conversation about um, this at all because it's not allowed. If you even raise a question and say, hey, is this really the best thing? Like, are kids really equipped to make this decision when they're 11 or 12 years old? You're immediately labeled a transphobe, and how dare you not care for your kids. Um, In that podcast uh, episode that I put out, there are actual videos from Boston Children's Hospital as one example of, unfortunately, many, where they're literally saying as soon as your child is capable of expressing themselves, you'll see signs of them, uh, you know, deciding what their gender identity is, like before they can even use words and speak any kind of language that you look at like gestures and you look at all these different things and you just you see how dangerous this is when critical thinking is like it's discouraged asking questions is discouraged having differing points of view is discouraged and i think even using the word discouraged is is putting it lightly people get banned on social media get their accounts you know suspended indefinitely for asking questions or saying, hey, this is not appropriate for kids. Again, then you la- add on the layer of government. And this is where things get so dangerous, is that, uh, you know, Chloe mentions that she knows people personally who parents who've had their kids taken away from them simply because they refuse to um, call them by a name or pronoun different than the one they were given at birth. By child protective services, by the government, and this is this is the very real consequence of people just being willing to go along, and maybe it's like, I don't know, this doesn't seem right, but at least it's not happening to me or my kids or my family, so I'm just going to put my head in the you know in, in the sand and not pay attention. Um, but there's there's so many different factors you start looking at. It. I mentioned parents going and, and, you know, protesting like, no, you know what? I don't want my seven-year-old kid being given books to read at school about like, well, tell me what your sexuality is or tell me what your gender identity is. I, I didn't, you know, I, I heard parents talk about this stuff. And I thought, gosh, you know, this is really concerning. And then I met with, with a bunch of parents in Virginia who've been on the um, – a group called Parents Defending Education have been kind of on the front lines of this fight nationally and they brought a stack of books and showed me and, and there was one in particular that um, it, it 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 was a graphic novel for middle schoolers and I I had never seen such sexually graphic images ever in my life and this is something that's being given to kids to help them you know figure out you know what their sexuality is and it's um it's really disturbing that we live in a society today where this open marketplace of ideas is not allowed to occur and it's not allowed to occur because we have people in power who are using the levers of government working with people in the media and in big tech to control speech and to influence our society.
0: So when I was a kid, let's say you were gonna get crazy and really rebel, you'd grow your hair out, right? And wear a jean jacket or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're listening to Metallica and you're gonna go through your Metallica phase. And, and back then Metallica was not the same Metallica that it is now. I mean, Back then Metallica was kind of fringe radical, right? And so you were gonna grow your hair out and and you were making all kinds of dumb decisions. I mean, let's face it. When you, when you're that young, you're you're making just bad decisions left and right. And so, thankfully, your decisions aren't permanent. When 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 I was a kid, our decisions weren't permanent. Maybe maybe you get some tattoos that you're gonna want to wear, you know, a shirt or something when you get older. You're hopefully you didn't jump straight into the neck tattoos or fa- again, Overton window on face tattoos and neck tattoos. I mean, they're they're becoming more and more mainstream right now. But back in the day, you weren't gonna be doing that kind of thing when you were certainly not 11, 12, 13. And then you think about the... Nor would your parents let you. Yeah, well there's another piece of this like... At some point, saying shut up to people became bad, Mm -hmm. right? When I was a kid, you tell people your parents would tell you to shut up. Your teacher would tell you to shut up. You would tell your friends to shut up. When you were doing something, when you were saying something stupid, somebody's like, "Hey, shut up!" And at some point, that became like a bad word. Do your kids say "shut up"? Echo Charles. Not to me
2: specifically, but yeah, they say that. Okay, but if they
0: said it to you, be offensive. There'd be consequences. Which I I agree with. I agree with you know. You don't want. (laughs) I don't want to expect a kid. But do you tell your kids to shut up?
2: I can't remember, but I'm not against the word shut up at all.
0: Okay. I probably don't say shut up enough. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think America does right now. Because sometimes, you know, when I was a kid, it's like I'd have some stupid idea. Mm -hmm. And my dad would be like, shut up. Mm I was like, okay. You got to stop sometimes. When we realize how. Moldable these kids are and gullible they are i mean this is when when you see like the interviews or read interviews i got a book i haven't done on the podcast yet but it's nazis yeah the young nazi kids they were 100 percent. they didn't know anything else they didn't know anything else at least a, a lot of them and same thing with the kamikaze pilots that are 19 years old they didn't know anything else and sure there's uh, i shouldn't i want to group them all together cuz some of them definitely were like hey wait a second i'm not so sure about this but then they got in those planes and drove them into our our vessels mm-hmm. our ships because they were just totally brainwashed totally brainwashed and we that's how moldable kids are mm-hmm. and so when you take a freaking 11-year-old girl and you start down this path and that's all she's hearing and that's all the support you're getting cuz look being a kid you know when i wrote my when I, when I wrote my first kids book one of the things i had to put in perspective was that you know i was still in, when i was in the military my kids were growing up part of my mind would be like what are these kids talking about like nothing matters Is this a, oh you know you know billy called me uh whatever called me a jerk mm-hmm. and i'm like so what right I'm like, hey, I'm going to Iraq. What are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. We got, we, we, I got buddies that bite face down in the mud so you could be called a jerk by your friend is freedom of speech. You know what I mean? Like that's how detached you get. You forget that when you're a kid, that's your whole world. Yeah. School is your whole world. The the bully is your whole world. And, and so what happens when these kids get a world put around them that only has one point of view and it's pushing in one direction, it's no surprise at all that they end up believing what they're hearing from everybody and everyone's so supportive.
1: And uh, that, that affirmation uh, and, and the, the, I mean, it, it has, and I, I, there's no mistake for the radical increase in numbers of, of young kids who are now saying, well, you know, I'm trans or I'm, you know, anywhere on the spectrum of the LGBTQ stuff um, it's not like been inching, like the, it's like by hundreds of percent increasing to the point where, and, and I've talked with teachers who say like, yeah, of all the kids in my class, there's maybe two who don't consider themselves LGBTQ something. And so it's kind of become like, uh, and Abigail Schreier uh, writes about this in, in her books about how kids are being influenced by this. Um you know, it's peer pressure, it's what's like, are you cool, or are you boring, or, or all this other stuff. And,
0: I'm over here like, bring back Metallica. Yeah, right. Let's <laughs> Let's bang heads yeah. and you know, grow long hair. That seems like a lot safer of a thing. You know, the other piece that you mentioned that um, is really disturbing. So, you can't ask questions about this. So, I, you know, I obviously work with a lot of companies talking about leadership, and one of the things I talk about when it comes to leadership is, I should, if you've got, if you're working, if Tulsi, if you're working for me and I come present a plan and you ask questions, I should be totally open to answering your questions. Right. Your your questions hopefully are challenging to me and they make me really think through my idea and they pressure test my idea and I'm happy to answer them. And the minute I say, shut up, Tulsi, I don't want to hear more mm-hmm. questions. Just do what I say. I just lost the argument. Yeah. I, I just lost leadership capital because it means I couldn't actually articulate why we're gonna do something a certain way. And it also means that I couldn't open my mind enough to say, Tulsi's got a good point, I should incorporate that into the plan or maybe adjust my plan or maybe abandon my plan because Tulsi has a really good thought process about this that I didn't think of. But the minute I say, you know what, just be quiet, no more questions, you do what I say. Exactly. That means I, That means there's something wrong. It exposes your weakness. Right. So. If you have a question for me and my answer is you're transphobic, that's not a great answer. No. That's not a great answer. And look, could it be true? Could I be a person that, oh, I'm, I'm scared of transphobic people? Sure, well, let me think through it then. What am I scared of? Okay, let's have a conversation about that. So, but instead just to be like, no, I don't wanna hear any more of your questions. Mm-hmm. This is a problem, and it doesn't lead. It doesn't lead to a, a, a situation where we make progress and where we can actually agree upon anything. That's right. So how's the how's the leadership, the governmental leadership? When you talk about the governmental leadership, kind of helping push this type of agenda, what does that look like?
1: Well, it's it's exactly what you're talking about. The the choice to uh, ridicule, discredit, smear. And censor through you know partners in in big tech, Google, Facebook, all of that, rather than actually have a conversation based on substance. Um, that's having this this fear you know th- this uh, self censoring effect on people, where they're too afraid to even ask questions, they're too afraid to state their own views or opinions or even their own experiences on this. Um, have you had Kristen Beck? On your podcast? I have not. I think I think I, I heard her talking on Rogan, uh, but Kristen Beck has had similar experiences even as a trans adult person saying, well, I don't know, like this is really dangerous for kids. Like these are this is a, a decision. If people want to make this decision as adults, this is a free country and you have the freedom to do that and live with whatever the outcomes of that decision may be. But for this to be happening to kids and, and Beck has received extremely negative consequences both on social media and in society because of of stating that fact Um, the government is pushing this under the the guise of something they call gender affirming care which sounds like something everyone should be for right we want to care for and respect each other just as people but what they're doing is actually abuse of kids. Chloe Cole's story is not a rare case. There are many others. Um both documented but also those that haven't been reported of kids who have gone through or going through exactly what she's been through. She started an organization to be able to reach out to and help provide support to other kids who've gone through uh, the path that she has walked down. The 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 government factor is they're saying that if you as parents don't provide gender-affirming care, then Child Protective Services may come in and intervene in order to ensure that your child receives that care elsewhere. Um, They are using this gender-affirming care uh, when it comes to federal funding. So for schools, for example, who the government says refuse to provide this quote-unquote gender-affirming care, which may come in the form of, like, okay, um, not allowing boys to go into the girls' locker room, boys who say, well, you know, I identify as a girl. If a, if a, if a publicly funded school um, does not allow that to happen, the federal government says, okay, we are not going to provide you with federal funding for what they call free and reduced lunch for kids who are at a certain lo- low level in the poverty scale, um, get free and reduced lunch at schools. The government says if your school does not provide this gender affirming care by allowing boys to go into the girls locker room, boys who say they're a girl, then we're gonna take that money away from you. Who hurts, who's harmed in that, mm-hmm. in that scenario, which is actually happening? it's kids who are hungry who can't afford to buy their own lunch at school. And so, I mean, there's so many examples of this where their hypocrisy is just playing out literally in real time. Their hypocrisy of saying, well, hey, this year, 2022, is the 50th anniversary of the enactment of Title IX. The, The law that was put in place literally out of a recognition of the biological difference between the male and female sex and to make sure that there was a level playing field because kids like your daughter, back in the day, they didn't have the opportunity to get on a girls wrestling team because they didn't exist in schools and with most most sports. It was like, okay, well there's boys sports and there's girls cheerleading. That was kind of, you know, or like my mom, she had water ballet and my mom's pretty athletic, (laughs) but her options were pretty limited as a kid growing up in, in East Grand Rapids in Michigan. So Title IX, 50 years later, has created huge opportunities for girls and women in sports, which then leads to opportunities in different professions and so on in their life. On this anniversary, 50th anniversary of Title IX, now the government in this administration is is trying to, or they are actually redefining Title IX in the law, not by passing an amendment through Congress, but instead backdooring it through a rule change to now include this gender identity, which basically says like, Anybody who says they are a woman can be a woman at any given point in time and therefore by doing so erasing doing two things, erasing women as a group in society, because now you could if you if you wake up tomorrow like, yeah, I'm a woman. All right, well, the government says now you are you are the same protected class as a biological woman, as as me. Um but but the deeper kind of underlying danger goes back to where we started is this change is our government saying there is no such thing as objective truth there is no such thing as biology there is no such thing as this biological difference between a male and female and if we as a society accept this premise then where are the boundaries there there literally are no boundaries and where does this lead i mean i've i've talked about this before you would think that kids are the one place where everyone in our society can agree, like we have to, kids are the most vulnerable. We have to protect our kids. Well, now they're, it, has, it is starting to become acceptable to use this term minor attracted person, which is a pedophile, mm. it's a pedophile and yet you have so teachers. That's, that's the
0: Overton window exactly. expanding. Exactly, right? that's
1: what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so people are like, oh yeah, you know, we should just like let people be who they wanna be and kids and this and that, like, okay, so <laughs> if you deny the that shut up comes in, right?
0: You should be like, hey, uh, no, shut up. Few, You're not allowed add to f- say add that. a few extra words yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Seriously, and then you have people who are teachers in a position to care for our kids on social media, they're like, "Yeah, I'm a minor attracted person, and this is how I feel when I'm standing in front of the classroom and using this very sexually explicit language, and and parents are giving their children over to these people for for more hours, waking hours of the day, probably than they spend time they're able to spend time with their kids, and if you're you, you become a bigot if you're like, uh, yeah, no, this is not okay." This normalization of pedophilia is exactly what's happening right now. How does it happen? Where does it start? Going back to where you started, how, like, well, you look at each, you know, how, how this Overton window is opening and, and pushing you not just to respect someone's different choices, but to openly accept and champion these things that are literally insane and are causing direct harm to our kids. And, and again, this is where. The societal shift and change, this cancel culture, this this fear mongering, pushing self censorship, coupled with the power of government, both directly and indirectly through big tech, is is has put us in a very dangerous place in our society.
0: How much did you see with big tech uh, collusion with the government when you were in the government?
1: Um. Quite a bit, especially when I ran for president. I, um, you know, and I don't know, I could probably think of a number of reasons why it, uh, it, it escalated so quickly there where, you know, it got to a point where even as I was, you know, being very outspoken on different issues beforehand, I think certain powers that be maybe didn't think that, oh, well, you know, she's just saying her piece, she's over here on the sidelines, but... You know, running for president provides a certain platform, and um, and it was, I mean, the the first kind of eye-opening experience to me was when uh, we had the very first presidential debate in the Democratic primaries. It was in 2019. Uh, you know, most people in the country didn't know who I was, never heard of me before, and my hope was, all right, cool, there will be millions of people watching, and I think there were north of 20 million people who tuned into that first debate, maybe a little off, but ballpark. And um, my hope is I'll be able to introduce myself, let people know why I'm offering to serve as president and commander in chief, and then you know they'll go online and say, okay, cool, I wanna learn more. We set up all of our Google AdSense accounts in the hopes that they would do so, and that I would be able to have my, my website there uh, ahead of whatever stuff Google chose to push on people. I was the most searched candidate of the night after that debate, which we had hoped would be the case. And uh, all of a sudden, our, our Google ad account was suspended with no explanation, no notice, no message, like literally nothing, just crickets. And so our team immediately obviously started to reach out, like, hey, what's going on here? We set this up according to all the rules and da da da. We tested it beforehand. Everything was good. What happened? No response. And this went on for a period of time. And then all of a sudden, we st- we we still never got a response. Then all of a sudden, the account was was uh the suspension was taken off the account, and that was the first like glaring example directly that I felt. Did um, you?
0: What part of your mind was like, "Oh, dang! That oh, that's too bad. I can't believe this weird thing happened." And what part of your mind was like, "These bastards!" <laughs> these bastards. We did it go straight to straight straight these there. bastards. I
1: went straight there because it was, it
0: was. Were you suspect already going into it? Did you, or is that just like a total I, eye opener?
1: No, I mean, I, I had, you know, the the um, influence and impact of these big tech companies and social media was already pretty clear. You know, how their algorithms were trying to push certain kinds of information to invoke a certain response from their, from their users. I think things were becoming more and more clear just broadly at that point, uh, which is why when that happened, uh, it was way too much of a coincidence to just be a coincidence. Um, I, I ultimately filed a lawsuit against Google because of this to to make the point and to make the statement that they shouldn't be allowed to get away with this. People need to know how much power a, a monopoly like Google has on directly influencing, interfering in our elections. And that that if they can do this to a sitting member of Congress running for the highest office in the land, Making it so that they are manipulating and and dictating what information people see when they type in "who is Tulsi Gabbard," they can do it to anyone for any reason. Uh, you know, whether you're running for mayor or dog catcher or whatever it might be, that this private corporation gets to determine what we as voters know and see and hear. Uh, about a person and that that became increasingly clear throughout my entire campaign how um, you know the the power elite as I call them or the permanent Washington that these are made up of some of the most powerful people in politics most powerful people in corporate media and the most powerful people in big tech are interfering in our elections by dictating who voters are exposed to and what they are exposed to about certain people who are are running for office they decide what what the narrative what the narrative is. And so to say, and this is this is the thing, of course, they don't talk about when they talk about, you know, influence and interference in our democracy in our elections, but it is the biggest and most impactful thing that is influencing voters. Um and, and there have been recent cases that have come forward about Google, for example, like in just in this past election, there was a report that was done showing that you know, political emails from candidates going into Gmail accounts, which most people have, favored sending these uh, favored uh, progressive or Democrat candidates or Democrat messaging to, to funnel those emails into your inbox, whereas uh, conservative or Republican political emails were more than 50% of the time end up in your spam box. So... You know, there there are a lot of different examples of this, but it's a dangerous, dangerous thing um, that is now going unchecked. There's no check and balance on that. And then you look at well, okay, well, so what are the political leanings of these big tech companies? And Facebook has, has obviously they've been in the news a lot about this as well. You know, they, they lean they have a, a specific political slant. But to me, whether the political slant is to the left or to the right, or if it's Democrat versus Republican, if if we don't number one, if we're not informed about it, not calling it out, and not pushing our lawmakers to say, hey, you know, this is this we have to call it for what it is. They're directly trying to influence um, influence our elections. Uh, we have to be willing to do it, whoever is, you know, whatever their political slant is. The point is, like, freedom of speech is freedom of speech. We have to be willing to protect that freedom of speech, no matter um, whether we like it or not, or whether we agree with that that speech or not.
0: I guess the live exp- experiments going on right now it with is. with Twitter, right, yes. with Elon, yes, and what he's doing, and he's bringing back all these people that were banned, mm-hmm. including Donald Trump. He just brought back Donald Trump. I don't think Donald Trump has gone on and gone back to Twitter yet, mm-hmm. and apparently he has some kind of commitment to. The His other own. to the truth, which is another social media platform, Truth Media, or so, Truth Truth. truth what is it social. called? Truth Social. Yeah. So, but Elon's let everybody on except for Alex Jones. Alex Jones, he did not let on what Echo. <laughs> you're you're laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got some reaction out of Echo Charles. <laughs> Yay nay, Alex Jones.
2: Yes, that's funny to me, but I don't know. Okay, <laughs> he's, he's going through
1: a lot of legal legal situations yeah, right yeah.
0: now. Yeah, yeah, what he he's owes billions of dollars yeah. apparently, right? Mm-hmm. Billions of dollars to the the parents of the Sandy Hook massacre. Uh, but so, other than Alex Jones, it looks like it looks like Elon and Twitter is just going wide open. Yeah, I think it's literally other than Alex Jones.
1: What's interesting to me about that is the people who are publicizing that they're leaving because now, you know, as Elon said, he's a free speech absolutist. Mm-hmm. Which, and can
0: you say that if you don't bring Alex Jones back on? I don't know. Can you? Is that is that an absolutist?
2: Technically, that's not absolute.
0: Okay, So he's yeah. an almost an absolutist. Yeah, almost, <laughs> reasonably,
1: <laughs> absolute. I saw the other day that CBS News, <laughs> what is it? They, they like, Oh, we're leaving Twitter. And then I, was it like a day or two and then they came back?
0: They came back. (laughs) You know, Fox news left Twitter for a long time. Is that right? Oh yeah. They left, they left Twitter for, for months and months and months. They left Twitter Mm -hmm. and they stayed off and I forget what brought them back on. But, but you, so you have this experiment kind of with Elon Musk right now opening up Twitter and I guess we'll see what happens. And I mean, the whole thing, it's just such drama. And that's one thing that's interesting. You know, I always feel like all this stuff that we're talking about is like a separate world mm-hmm. that I'm actually not that, I don't get fully engaged in that world because I actually have a bunch of businesses and like things going on. And I feel like that's more normal. And if you're not careful, you think that. This world that we're talking about—the world of social media, the world of Twitter, the world of Facebook, the world of Instagram—if you're not careful, you think that's real. Yeah. And you have to remember that it's not real. Yeah. And that it's just a, it's just a virtual world that's not real. But there's people that live and die in that world, and they and that world drives them crazy. By the yeah. way, I got asked that a, uh, I got asked that on a on a a podcast interview a little while ago, you know, well, how do you feel when people make bad comments about you on Twitter or or on, and I said, hey, I recommend you don't really get concerned about those things because it's a bot, (laughs) right? It's a bot or it's a person that's just looking, it's a troll or a bot. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what you're, how many, what percentage of negative comments are coming from a person that is making a negative comment because their goal is to help influence you and move you in a better direction and see their perspective? The yeah. chances of very that few. Are very few. It's a bot or it's a troll. So yeah. why are you getting spun up about this stuff?
1: I was in Greensboro, North Carolina, a few days ago. Stopped in a little shop on the side of the road, and um, this guy comes up to me, and he's like, "Oh my God, are you Tulsi freaking Gabbard?" It's <laughs> like, "Yeah." It's like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> There's nothing in Greensboro. It's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, you know, I'm here for this event. I'll be speaking at later on." And he's like, "You know what?" If I was on Twitter right now, I would be putting out a tweet saying how much I don't like Tulsi Gabbard. But now you're standing right in front of me and I can't frickin' say that. <laughs> like, you're a real person. And you know, I, ta- I ended up talking to him for about five minutes or so, and he's like, I gotta take a picture. I was like, all right, if you post it on Twitter, <laughs> you better like be true to your word here, buddy, and not, not start talking shit about me. But what? it was just funny, the interaction, yeah. which is exactly that. Like, in real life, very rarely, I've I've actually had it co- happen a couple of times where people will come up and say the kinds of harsh, you know, mean criticisms that they say on Twitter, maybe all the time, but by and large, most people, they wouldn't have that kind of interaction with someone in real life.
0: Mm-hmm. What was the guy's beef with you? Or what do you suspect it would I, it have was, been?
1: It, I don't know, you know, it was <laughs> interesting cause he was, cause after he said that, he's like, all right, can I just ask you one question? I was like, yeah, like I, my ride's waiting outside, I don't have a lot of time, but he's like, you know, you you say a lot of things that are pretty critical of the Democratic Party, and I agree with a lot of those things, but why are you still a Democrat? I'm like, oh, I'm not. He's like, oh, <laughs> you're not? It's <laughs> like, no, go listen to episode one of my podcast, and there's 29 minutes of me telling you exactly why I left the Democrat Party. Um, but then that was it, and then he's like, oh my gosh, like, okay, I'm gonna go and listen to that, um, but, and then he asked if he could take a picture, and then as I was walking out, there were people sitting next to me, I was like, Is that? Is that Tulsi It's Like, yeah. Anyways, it was just funny um, because I don't know that he knew exactly what his beef was. Uh, but for whatever reason, he was not positively disposed towards me. But then after four minutes of a conversation uh, and just recognizing, like, hey, yeah, I'm a real person. You're a real person. And maybe we don't agree on everything. Probably don't. Disagree on some things. Cool. That's fine but you know treat each other with respect
0: yeah and what's scary about that is someone that's just like I don't I don't like you and I have beef with you and if I was on Twitter i would be talking smack yeah and the main reason is cuz that you've been labeled as a democrat and yeah. so they're not a democrat so therefore they must hate you right and and that's the horrible thing yeah. right because you know someone can be anything and if you have an open mind and listen to what they have to say you go oh well they got some good points there and that really doesn't make any sense to me right now mm-hmm. but let's hear what their perspective is and and that's a good way to a good way to like survive and live with other human beings in the world yeah listen to what they have to say maybe try and see their perspective a little bit which it just seems like uh is very limited especially in in the in the world of social media
1: yeah and this this goes to you know one of the uh, this this is something that I talked about in my statement about why I left the Democrat Party is how divided our country has become largely because of those those, you know, well, if you are white, therefore you are this if you are black, therefore you are that and and how the Democratic Party has completely um, gone against Dr. King's dream of. This, you know, th- that his kids would one day grow up in a society where we're judged based on our character, not the color of our skin. Well, now, even in our our schools, elementary schools, they want our kids to be taught that if you're white, you're privileged. If you are a person of color, then you are the oppressed or you are the victim, and dividing us based on the color of our skin and racializing everything in our society. If something happens, well, obviously it's because of Race obviously it's because of um, the color of your skin, and you you can go down that path of these broad categorizations, whether it's based on party politics or race, ethnicity, religion, um, any of these boxes that that they like to put us in and use as wedges to drive us apart, rather than again focus like all right let's just go below the surface and recognize that you know uh, all people from Hawaii. Are not the same. <laughs> mm. <laughs> or, um, you know, what, whatever the fill in the blank is, uh, we, we get into uh, dangerous territory when we judge each other just based on, you know, the superficial or the label that is attached to us. And, and I've been uh, on the receiving end of this constantly because I've never fit into any one of those specific boxes. And you know, friends of mine say, well, that that hurts you politically because then you don't have like that natural support base. Um, but you know, none of us as people are are monoliths. None of us are just walking around as like, oh, you know, this these labels are attached to me, therefore I am that. And it assuming that in our society has the negative effect of of not encouraging that critical thinking, that independent thought, um, that healthy skepticism of like, all right, when I read this story or I hear this view, where are they coming from? What's the angle on it? What's, what's, what's their experience maybe that's informed that that may be different from my own and what can I learn from it? You know, or what, maybe I end up disagreeing with it. And, but I've thought through here are the reasons why not just because like, oh, that person is in this category or this group, therefore I must disagree. I must be opposed. And, and that's a It it has the opposite effect of, I think, the foundation of this country, which is we are all Americans, out of many there are one, and this kind of individual thought and freedom of expression was celebrated at one time in this country, and now worse than not being celebrated there are punitive effects and consequences to that freedom of expression to where it becomes Freedom of expression you know for those in power, freedom of expression is only celebrated if they agree with it
0: <laughs> imagine the uh being the adversary of America, like you're China right now, and you're just sitting there watching this unfold and there's no better way to destroy your adversary than to have them destroy themselves and so it's no it's no surprise when you know the 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 Russian bot farms were Setting up these these pro these counter protests and protests in the same neighborhoods, and 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 really just doing all they could to divide America, and that's why I always try and keep that top of mind for myself mm. when when I get put into a scenario where someone's trying to you know uh, frame me up mentally, yeah. frame me up mentally, I'm always thinking to myself. Okay, well, hold on a second. Don't get framed up mentally. Mm-hmm. Listen to what someone else has to say. See what their perspective is. And remember that they're American and I'm an American. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm an American and you're American, cool. We, we got all kinds of things in common. All kinds of things in common. Look, I, I think I said this on this podcast before. Unless you're an actual ISIS member, yeah. I, 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 we, we're gonna find some common ground. Like we're gonna both like UFC or we're gonna yeah. both like uh guitar. Like there's gonna be something there. Yeah. We're gonna both like Led Zeppelin or whatever. There's gonna be something there where we go, oh, okay, cool. I'm 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 down. You know, oh you listen to Led Zeppelin, cool. What's your favorite album? We're like, let's go. Mm-hmm. But it's really easy to just focus on, oh, you like this and I don't like that, therefore you're my enemy and we should fight. Which yeah. is really, really freaking lame. Yeah. It's really lame. And that's where we get framed up all day day long. And social media is the amplifier of that, that we've never seen before. Truly. Never seen before. I think it would clean up a lot on Twitter if you were only allowed to be you. You're yeah. only allowed to have your
1: name. Yeah, I agree with that. You, can you can't be hide you. behind. Isn't that kind of what Facebook
0: does? Facebook does that, right? Can you be on Facebook and be like, you know, alpha 29474 and make a bunch of comments? Echo Charles, expert.
2: That's <laughs> not a yes or no question. You kinda can't. You could probably get away with it to a, a degree. False name, right? Yeah, yeah. A false a fake name. name or yeah, yeah. Because I I see people with that
0: on Facebook. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. With a, something other than their real name. Yes. So maybe if you're gonna make which comments, is like
1: the catfishing, right? Like they put up, they find like pictures of.
2: Well, that depends if they're trying to misrepresent their identity. That's yes, true. But to take a advantage of someone name, else, yeah, you know this. That's like an alias, nickname, you know, that kind of stuff. I see that for sure. Yeah, but I, I don't think Facebook is like openly permissive about it. I think it's like they try to make you have your real name. It It seems seems like like,
0: it it seems to me when I look at Facebook comments, they're people. Yes. Yeah. Twitter comments, maybe not, not so much. So much. <laughs> Twitter <laughs> YouTube? comments, YouTube totally no, no, not. No, 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 no. YouTube fully not. Uh, and the divisiveness. People talk. This is another thing that I find interesting is people talk about. It's never been more divisive than it is now. And I get it. We want to make headlines, but man, we had a literal civil war yeah. where six hundred and fifty thousand people died. Six hundred and fifty thousand people died right and even in the late 60s early 70s there was crazy crazy civil unrest and there was you know the seventies liberation army and the black liberation army and the black panthers and the weather underground and these were groups that were killing like there was like something like thirty five police officers that were assassinated. Mm. There was bombings. Bombings happened so much in those days yeah. that it was it almost didn't even make the headline of the news. I mean, if there's a if someone puts a bomb off today in America, that's gonna be in the front of every news story there every news corporation there is. Back in the late sixties, early seventies, that stuff was just happening. They were yeah. just blowing stuff up. So it's not as bad. It's not the worst it's ever been. But it certainly seems that way when you go on social media and you start <laughs> paying attention to that mayhem.
1: Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, I, I don't know what the uh, the recent numbers, but I, I feel like Twitter, you might know this, Echo, but Twitter I think is Echo like, just became a pr- I know, he became, he became there the you expert. Go. I guess compared to me and Tulsa, <laughs> you're, you're the an tech expert. Guy. <laughs> but it's something like t- like less than five percent of Americans are on Twitter. Twitter. It's, some, it's, a, it's a really, really I was just, it's a surprisingly number. low number. Um, but you look at uh, it, it is known as the place for people in politics and the media. And so when you look at uh, the outsized influence, you know, like a tweet can make a news story, um, it, it's not representative of, you know, the vast majority of Americans in this country. But it has an outsized effect
0: (laughs) it does have an outside effect and I think that is safe to say it's not the it's most people aren't spending I had this conversation with Ben Shapiro, you know He was talking about all this stuff and I said hey Ben You're at ground zero for like political controversy and mayhem and most people in America are just like working their job going to their kids Jiu-jitsu tournament, wrestling mm-hmm. tournament, piano recital. That's what most people are doing. Now, if you want to open up that app and just get let it creep into your brain, it's going to get in there for sure. Yeah. Well,
1: I had to take, during when I was running for president, my husband, like he, he doesn't like politics and he's not a guy, he's not a social media guy at all. Um, but he was starting to to look at Twitter a lot and it got to the point where it was like actually caught like first of all he's like who is this person where are they <laughs> where do they live um but but i i remember like we were sitting in like an olive garden for dinner probably in new hampshire somewhere and he was it was he was glued to his phone and i could like almost palpably feel his blood pressure rising and you know his is like stress and anxiety and anger and just all of these emotions and there was a few times I I literally had to physically pull his phone from his hand, and then he ultimately just deleted the app because, you know, this is not a world that he lives in. I've been used to all kinds of attacks for a really long time, um, but it has, um, yeah. I mean, for for you can understand that for people who don't aren't accustomed to that sort of thing, it can have a really really negative, emotional impact
0: oh yeah i mean we had uh one of my buddies micah fink who runs an awesome organization helping vets but he 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 said something when he was on the podcast about like you are giving the energy to the thing that's Mm -hmm. eating you exactly so like your husband just going oh you know what i've had enough of this delete yeah that and one one of our friends jack daniel uh jack daniel hill just went on like a retreat into the mountains and i was like oh how was it you know just talking to him And the first thing he goes, it was four days, no phone, Mm. no watch, didn't even know what time it was. And he said when he got back, he said it was such a good like dopamine reset because you realize what that phone does to you, like how it makes you feel. You know, it's like I talk about fasting from food and one of the best things you get from a food fast is it recalibrates your hunger, mm-hmm. right? Like you think, like it's been two hours, dude I'm yeah, totally. starving, <laughs> totally. I'm starving. You're, like, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> and, and then you get done with like a fast, a three day fast mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm not even close to hungry, I'm yeah. fine. And so the dopamine hit on the phone is the same thing, like you take a break from that thing and you go, oh, this thing is running my brain. Yeah. It's got it's got ownership of my brain. You can't let that happen.
1: Yeah. And you don't even realize it. Yeah, that that uh, documentary Social Dilemma was very mm-hmm. eye-opening in how intentional completely intentional. Oh, totally. Like they're looking for that exact effect. Oh, completely like the smallest littlest things like opportunity for exploitation left, right and center and it's constant. And it's uh yeah, I I used to wear an Apple Watch and I don't anymore, specifically because like, I don't need bing, that. Bing, oh, bing, constantly, bing, bing, bing. constantly.
0: That's how the weird thing is like on Twitter, obviously, and, and look, I like Twitter. And what I like about Twitter is it's fun because it's basically, for my, for, my, for lack of a better word, personality, you get to sit there and make one-liners. Yeah. It's basically just one-liners. And 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 it's it's easier than one-liners if you and I are talking cuz if you and I are talking, I have to do a one-liner on the spot. I have 1 second to think about it. I got to do it. Yeah. With Twitter, I can take 7 minutes to think of a really good one-liner, right? <laughs> yeah. So of course you're going to win. Of course you're going to sound yeah. you're going to sound funny or whatever. And it's a fun thing to do. But man, sometimes I, I'll like read someone that's putting something on Twitter. And you can see that they're putting some little fraction of their, of their soul into it. Maybe that's a strong word, but they're putting at least some level of effort of like, hey, I wanna make this point. People have to hear this. Yeah. What I'm about to say is gonna have impact. And I'm thinking, I- I'm sorry, man, but like, if you're looking to change the world, you shouldn't be trying to change the world on Twitter. You should be trying to change the world through some other things, start a business, grow a company, go out and talk to people and communicate with them in a broad, long-term format, but but to sit there and be like, all right, this is the thread. This is the thread that's really gonna change things up. This is the one. So I think that's a little bit sketchy and you have to watch out for that. And, and again, I also think that Twitter originally as a method of communication, when I originally got on it, Tim Ferriss, He says to me, oh no, it's a really good way to like talk to people and communicate with them. And you can get a bunch of information. I was like, oh, I guess that sounds cool. And at some point, Twitter went from a way to communicate with a bunch of people and have them communicate back to you and people you don't know and it's all good and we can all, it went from that sort of a positive communication and I still think, I feel I still feel that way about it. Like, I'll go on, and have all kinds of positive, really good interactions with people. I'm probably the only person that's just on there trying to <laughs> <laughs> have a bunch of positive interactions. Even when people say negative stuff to me on Twitter, I always say, oh, that's a cool perspective, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that, that makes sense, I never thought of it that way. And let me keep an open mind here, instead of just going on the attack. Uh, but yeah, people gotta watch out for that one. Yeah.
1: Uh, so my approach is a little different than yours. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I am, and you know, the, you know, social media strategists may have, have some, uh, some constructive feedback here, but I do try to be pretty intentional about things that I put out on social media at real large, but Twitter limitation of space. I put, I put some thought into the statements that I'm making in the hope that it will have an impact, at least causing people to ask a question or maybe stop and think about whatever the topic is that I'm commenting on. Um, and using it as a platform to help inform and engage on uh, on the issues issues of the day. It's challenging because it's so short. But uh, to me, all of these different platforms, yes, there's there's positives and negatives to them. So I want to try to. I, I do. I want to be very intentional about what I am putting out. Um, responses, you know, cross cross the spectrum. But to me, this is like really the thing. Is like people are just like, oh, you know. Uh, I I always laugh at the comments that are like, oh, I hate what you say, or you're so ignorant, or you're terrible, all of (laughs) these different things. Like, dude, unfollow. It's as simple as that, or you should not be allowed to speak, and da-da-da-da-da-da, unfollow. And that's that's where like you you see how, uh, again, people in government and people in positions of power, like, well, we need to ban hate speech. We need to ban misinformation and disinformation. Who gets to decide what that is? You know, your, you know, what Echo might think is hate speech may be different from what you might consider hate speech. What's offensive to him might be different than what's offensive to you. You know, miss, we saw this through the COVID pandemic, right? One day, Dr. Fauci says, oh, masks are useless. Don't go buy them. Then the next day he's like, well, actually, everybody really has to wear a mask. Like, OK, so who gets to say what is misinformation and disinformation and what should be banned versus not banned?
0: The, the postmortem on the COVID is very crazy
1: to look at. Yeah, it's a great case study for what we're the talking about. The last time about, you yeah. were
0: here, <laughs> the last time you were here, we you didn't do a podcast, but you were in town and Echo and I were here and you just were like, hey, I'm in town, swing by. And so you were here, Echo and I were like way beyond COVID. <laughs> I guess <laughs> we were just like not wearing masks, not doing anything. You were here, you were still, you were still uh, in Congress. Yep. You were here, you had two masks on. Yep. We ended up having I ended up having to send you the the horrible text of like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. I'm really sorry, but both Echo and I have COVID yep. after you left. But what you when you look back, what do you think of that whole gig? That whole COVID thing? Like it was mayhem.
1: It was it was mayhem and a lot of it was caused by um a lot of I mean, look, I mean, Fauci was lying about masks because he didn't want people to go buy masks because he felt like there wasn't enough masks for healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. And I think at, at different points, you know, you saw how you're not allowed to go to church, not allowed to go to a funeral, not allowed to have a wedding. You're not allowed to gather with friends in your house, not allowed to have birthday parties, but... Um, you can
0: go to Home Depot, Walmart, and McDonald's. Home
1: Depot, Walmart, <laughs> McDonald's, or 50,000 people in a Black Lives Matter march, <laughs> shoulder to shoulder, Screening. social distancing, six feet apart. Like, yeah, no. And and just the the direct statements that these so-called health profe- healthcare professionals made during that time was like, oh well, you know, the cause is worthy, so therefore it outweighs the risk. Of COVID, but your kids are not allowed to go to school. It, it, my My whole perfe- my whole perspective on this is um, individual choice. And so for me, like I travel a lot, I do a lot. I don't want to get sick. I was wearing masks on planes before COVID happened because I I can't afford to have days out where I can't do what I need to do, whether that was in Congress or 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 now. You know, I have people in my family who have compromised immune system, so generally I am more careful than your average person. Because I don't want to, I don't, I can't, I can't afford to get sick. But it comes down to the the idea of individual choice was thrown out the window, and we saw how people in power were claiming to act in the best interest of quote unquote public health, but it really got to a point where this was about compliance or face the consequences. It was, it, it became about power, and that's that's the dangerous. Thing as we look back at what happened.
0: How much did how much did government trust decay because of COVID?
1: How, how much did government trust what
0: decay? What do you mean? I mean, people that maybe before COVID would be like,
1: oh, you know, government saying something. It's you know, oh, it's government. The government, yeah, decaying trust in decaying the, government. Trust yeah, yeah, the government. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I I think I think that that <laughs> lack of trust went up dramatically um, because you know, oh, God, what was it? One of these mainstream media. I don't know if it's the New York Times, New Yorker, one of these had an op-ed recently published where they're just like, oh, people should just forgive people like Dr. Fauci for being wrong because, hey, nobody really knew what was going on. And a lot of parents being like, hold on a second. You know, my kid was out of school for two years and you want us to just forgive and forget as my kid's trying to, you know, play catch, catch up. up or or just whatever, you know. Again, like I, I've um, families who could not go and, and uh, see a loved one in the hospital before they died. Um, there, there's not a whole lot of forgive and forget, I think, going on by people who really, really were, you know, small business owners who were forced out of business, and, and there's just so many different examples.
0: You know, from a leadership perspective, you have to be honest with people about what you know and what you don't know and what's like your best guess and what, and look, it never inspires confidence, right? If we're in combat, and I say, hey, Tulsi, I guess you should move to that next building, right? Like, that doesn't inspire the kind of confidence that people wanna hear, but if you and I are working together and you know that, listen, all leadership decisions are a guess, they really are. Mm -hmm. You're not making any leadership decisions that I know 100, per very few, let me rephrase that, very few leadership decisions that you make as a human being in a leadership position, you know 100% what's gonna happen. And if you did, then who cares, right? If I know 100%, oh, I know 100% if we make this investment, we will 100%, that's not even a decision, right? That's just yeah. a smart move that you're gonna make. Yeah. If I knew on the battlefield 100%, if you take down this building, we're gonna get the flank on the enemy and not lose anybody, right. great. That's that's not a, that's just a move, Fact. right? right. But when it comes to making decisions, you gotta you gotta recognize number one that hey, this is a guess that I'm making right now based on the information that I have, and when more information comes out, I'm probably gonna have to make adjustments to what I said 15 minutes ago, 15 days ago, 15 weeks ago, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and yet it seemed like people's egos were so fragile exactly. that they just dug in and just Even, when it, no Even when it made no sense. it made no sense anymore. Yeah. Even yeah. when it made, after they had the freaking Super Bowl in Los Angeles yeah. with how many people were there, Echo Charles? I don't know. 80,000 or something like this. <laughs> and they're, they're all in there. And then in LA, at that time, I had gone to LA for something. It was full on, like everyone's wearing a mask. And then they had the Super Bowl
1: mm-hmm.
0: and no one's wearing a mask. And then they go back and it, it, yeah. it's like, it didn't make sense. Yeah. And no one said, hey, you know what, what we thought, a month ago, two months ago, whatever, we've we've we, we've adjusted what we were thinking because we we might have been wrong about that, yeah. and and here's what we're thinking now. This is our best guess. This is how we're going to move forward. None of that happened. It was no. freaking ridiculous.
1: And the crazy thing is, like you know, as uh, someone who has you know, especially in the military, but in politics, been exposed to good leaders and and you know, bad leaders. What I would hope for, for from uh, someone in a leadership position, is just that honesty and transparency. Say, hey, here's the decision that we made based on the information that we had. We have new information, and so here is here's the guidance or here's here's the direction uh, that we're headed. Like that would engender more trust and more respect by the to those in in positions of power and and uh, and leadership, rather than exactly what you're saying. We we saw where they were more concerned about not admitting like hey we we got that one a little wrong we're going to adjust and kind of course correct they're more concerned about that than they were about actually doing what was right and what was best and not concerned for the consequences more concerned for themselves and how people might perceive them yeah and that's what's than weird, is
0: everybody knows everybody knows i asked hundreds of people this question when I I talk about leadership. Like if I go to you and I say, hey, Tulsi, I'm not really sure how to conduct this mission. What do you think we should do? Yeah. Everybody knows that that's a better attitude and better leadership than if I'm not really sure how to conduct an operation. I say, all right, Tulsi, here's how we're doing it. And this is what we're gonna do, because I said so everybody knows that the first leader that asks for input and has an open mind, everybody knows that leader's more respected. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that. And yet when we're in the leadership position, we decide to think, you know what? Everyone's going to think, I am I don't know what I'm doing if I ask Tulsi what her opinion is. It's freaking totally ridiculous and it's totally wrong. And yet it's our ego. Our ego is so strong that it overpowers our actual knowledge of what good leadership is. We all know the better leader says, hey, you know, I've never conducted an operation like this before, Tulsi, I know you have, how do you think we should do it? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that that's better leadership than Tulsi's got a bunch of experience in this type of operation, I've never done it before, but I don't wanna look bad, so I'm gonna dictate how we're doing it. Everybody knows that that's bad. Yeah. And yet our ego pushes us to do that. It's It's ridiculous, that's how strong the ego is.
1: One of my favorite uh, series of all times is Band of Brothers and it was something that um, I first learned about as an E. I'd just gotten into the Army National Guard. We did our annual training at Fort Indiantown Gap in Pennsylvania and I had happened to pick up the book Band of Brothers by Dick Winters um, as we were out there was reading it was on the plane going back to Hawaii when I finished it in the very back of the book it says you know Dick Winters has now retired and is residing in Fort Indian Town Gap, Pennsylvania. I was oh. like, oh my God, I would have loved to go knock on that guy's door. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that would have been incredible. But I've watched that series so many times in OCS. We actually had we watched episode by episode and we had to write essays on each episode talking about leadership lessons. Mm-hmm. And for those who've seen it, um, the Captain Sobel character mm-hmm who was Ross from Friends, he is that guy. He is that that guy who was totally driven by ego, did not care about what was right or drawing from experience or anything else. He was right to a fault, and his soldiers suffered, and they lacked any respect for him, like blatantly saluted the rank solely, but that was it. Like Following him into combat terrified them, and they talked about this and, and raised this through their chain of command versus Dick Winters. The guy who really um, represented and embodied those those the the, the characteristics of servant leadership and, and humility and, you know, drawing on the strengths of his NCOs and his men um, to be able to make sure that they were taking care of each other and accomplishing the mission.
0: Yeah, at, at Echelon Front, we do that. We, we actually take chunks of Band of Brothers and mm-hmm. talk about it. And, and again, everybody knows that Captain Sobel is hated. Yep. And everybody knows that when you come, when you try and demand respect from people, it doesn't work. Everyone knows that. And yet people freaking do it. Ashley <laughs> on Front, my leadership company wouldn't exist if this stuff, if people could just, just kind of execute Innately. on what they know. Yeah. But that ego is so strong that it just overpowers the ability to listen to what other people have to say. It overpowers the people, the ability to allow Themselves to be influenced by what other people are saying mm-hmm. they think of that as weakness mm-hmm. if you say hey jaco I think we should attack this target from the north instead of from the west and in my mind I think wait a second if, I'm gonna look weak if I accept Tulsi's input right now. I'm so no, right? It, 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 the, our ego just drives us and, and this is again. I think this is one of the major issues that we see in America is that a lot of times people think I'm gonna look weak if I do this I'm gonna look bad or I don't want to submit. I don't want to subordinate my ego. I don't want. I don't want Tulsi to be the one that had the good idea. So I'm not going to use her idea. I'd rather just fail. Mm-hmm. It's, isn't it crazy? It, it it happens in business a lot where I I come up with the idea. My idea is not working, but it was my idea. So I'm just going to lose. I'm going to I'm going to go bankrupt. And people think no, no one would do that. Oh yes, they will, and they do. Mm-hmm. And and the extreme example is combat. There's plenty of historical examples where people have gotten their troops killed and in some cases gotten themselves killed because they just didn't want to they didn't want to say, you know what? I was wrong about this. We're, we shouldn't attack. We shouldn't do a frontal assault right now. We should actually take a step back, maybe retreat a little bit and come and attack a different day. They, there's plenty of examples in history where people die because their ego gets in the way. So it happens in business. And if it can happen in, in business and people can bankrupt a company and it can happen in battle and people can get people killed, it will certainly happen all day on Twitter yeah. where <laughs> people say, I would rather just perish yeah. than, than admit that, oh, that's a good point. I didn't think through that.
1: And obviously it happens in politics every single day. Oh yeah. And I think the interesting thing about that is these are decisions that are made out of fear. Their motivation is fear ultimately is themselves looking stupid or silly or not getting the credit or whatever it is. And I, I could, examples day and night I could tell you in politics how people who are elected into these positions of leadership are really followers who are looking to uh, react to certain situations, what will put me in the best light? You know, how can I take advantage of this to further myself, or make those decisions based on fear—fear fear of like, hey, I don't want to stand out from the crowd. I don't want to get this criticism. I don't want to be ostracized by this group or that group. Or what if these people don't like me? Or what if you know I don't get the credit for this? And and that was, you know, one of the first um, days that I had as a new member of Congress in Washington. Uh, you know, the message from Democratic Party leadership was like, hey, you you need to make sure that, that we as a party get the credit for what you're doing. So if there's a, a bill with a good idea that one of your Republican colleagues puts forward and they want you to join them on it, don't do it because you'll make them look good. Just take their idea and you introduce the bill so that you and, and therefore the Democrats get credit for it. Uh, and then, and only then will we advance that idea because if it's the other guys, then now, you know, we'll just let that bill die silently uh, in the night. And, and you know, scum. If, if this were just, you know, um, I don't know, running for class president in high school, that'd be one thing. But then you take this example and you look at people who are making decisions based on our foreign policy and where and when our men and women are sent into combat. And not being willing to say, "Hey, uh, we got that one wrong," or "Hey, we need to relook at how we're thinking about this problem set," and ask the question, "How does this best serve the interests of the United States, our national security, the interests of the American people?" Instead of like, "I gotta look tough, I gotta be strong, I gotta pound my chest," and the the unfortunate, and this is why I talk a lot about how the most important responsibility the president has is to serve as commander in chief, and the danger of having a weak minded person in that position who does not understand the seriousness of that job is they feel they have to prove their strength. And what better way to prove that strength than to say, hey, I'm gonna go drop some bombs. I'm gonna go send in, you know, our our meanest, baddest fighters to go into a certain situation or start a war, insert ourselves into a conflict without actually saying, Hey, maybe exercising restraint in this situation is actually the not only the right move, but it's the, the power move. It's the move that actually serves the interest of our country. And uh, that's, that's the dangerous consequence of exactly what you're talking about, of ego and, and leaders making decisions based on emotion and fear rather than actual assessment of, all right, what are we looking at? What are the consequences of course of action A, B, C, and D? And what exactly are we trying to accomplish?
0: It's oh, freaking depressing. Is there any, is there, is, there, is there any freaking light at the end of the tunnel for our our government? Yes. What is it?
1: Us. The light. The light at the end of the tunnel is people who are frustrated by the status quo, people who are concerned for what kind of future that we want to leave behind for our kids, what kind of country we want them to grow up in be, when I say be the change, it's it's recognize the vision that our founders had for this country that, you know, literally escaping control and being governed by a monarchy where the people had no say to forming this country based on the foundation of a self-governed people. And what what does that actually mean? What does that look like? It's we the people fulfilling our responsibility in selecting leaders who truly are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. There's a lot of different ways that any one of us can get involved in, in, and be a part of that. But the basic, the bare minimum is cast your vote and do a little bit of work, just a little bit, to make sure that the votes that you're casting are based on, you know, informed, you know. Figure out figure out what what you, what you want. And this is not to say, you know, you'll hear in politics, like, oh, one side only wants to get their side out to vote and hopes everybody else stays home. The more we have this open marketplace of ideas, the more we exercise our rights and freedoms uh, and make sure that our voices are heard, then we have the kind of robust democracy that, that our founders envisioned. Dep-
0: again, back to the depressing viewpoint over from Jaco, is uh, the game that gets played as far as the whole political system. The game that's getting played is not conducive to people, hey, okay, this is what I'm thinking right now, and this is what my beliefs are, and I'm gonna go out and vote, and therefore if a bunch of people are thinking like me, then we'll probably do okay the game that's being played is like, it's all about how much money can you can you yes. put into advertising yes. and how much, how many people can you get to vote and what methodology is there for voting? I mean, some of the voting things are crazy. Some yep. of the things that happen with, with voting and the way voting takes place. So it seems like the game that the politicians are playing, there's, you know, the, the that the people are just sort of pawns that are, uh, yeah, here's what we're gonna do to get the pawns to vote this way, and here's what the, we'll get the the result that we want.
1: All of that is absolutely true. And and knowing that that is true and knowing that that's the case is so important for us to know as voters what we're being subjected to and why. And is exactly to try to manipulate us to vote in the way that one side or the other wants us to. And knowing that, then we can take a step back and again, encourage that critical thinking. Encourage that as you're getting information, whether it's on a television ad, or a social media post, or a news article, um, exercise your own discernment, and pause for a minute and think about: Okay, well, what what is their bias? What are they? What do they want me to think, or how do they want me to react to this? There are um, there's some apps out there. I know there's there's a bunch. There's one that I have on my phone called All Sides, and it's an app that will present kind of the news headlines of the day and it'll say, well, this news source is left-leaning. This one is neutral. This one is right-leaning and it's not foolproof by any means, but there there's some quick ways to kind of look out there and, and get a little bit of an idea of what direction or angle or bias a certain media source has taken so that you know, okay, well, if I read this then, okay, well, that's, that's kind of the, the outcome they want me to have. But being aware of that I think is the, is the first step. There are a lot of other policy changes that, that I think need to take place to address some of the problems that we're talking about, but uh, that can only happen when we throw out leaders who are abusing their power and actually start to get real leaders uh, into office who who will take us in, in the right direction.
0: When you say policy changes to address some of the things that have happened, what, like what do you mean?
1: I mean, the, the big tech, I think, is, is, a, is a huge one that as long as politicians are in the pockets and getting money from the Googles and metas of the world, um, we're not going to see those kinds of changes take place. We hear a lot, I've heard a lot from both Democrats and Republicans about, oh, you know, big tech monopolies are such a big problem. It's like, yeah, OK, so what are you doing about it? And when you look at it, like they're not they're not doing anything about it, actually. Um, there's a you know a healthy debate and conversation that needs to be had about how do you you know what what, what role does government play in in regulating these these monopolies? I think first you know there there's section 230 um, within the. US code provides big tech essentially with the legal immunity that a publisher like the New York Times does not have because originally they thought okay, well, big tech, you know like, They they're not going to be to be an arbiter and a curator of information. They're just going to be, you know, an online platform, platform. whereas The New York Times does curate, you know, what letters to the editor they choose to publish or the articles they choose to publish. Um, But in reality, in an application, these big tech monopolies are are exactly they're curating very, very carefully every single thing that we see. And yet they are not being held legally liable in the same way that a a publisher would. So that's, that's kind of basic, um, number one of like, okay, how should they be treated? Some say, they should be treated as a utility much like the phone company where, you know, the phone company doesn't control who calls who or the content of any conversation. They are just a platform for us to be able to communicate and talk to each other. So I think, I think this, um, Big tech obviously does not want to lose that legal immunity. Uh, if they are a, a free speech platform, then be a free speech platform. If they're a platform that says, well, we're only gonna push these certain viewpoints, then people know that and, and we'll know that going in. That's um, that's that's a that's an important place uh, to start, to make it so that these monopolies, I, I have been a big fan of, of breaking up uh, big tech. Um, using existing provisions within the law that-
0: Like standard antitrust type stuff? Exactly.
1: Uh, to to avoid exactly what we are seeing now, where you can say, oh, well, you know, you can use DuckDuckGo instead of Google, but you're not gonna get the same kind of effect and reach of being able to get as much information as you, you would because Google has a monopoly. Um, I think there are different approaches to this, but recognizing the problem and how they're directly interfering in our elections. Uh, as one major example, we talked about Chloe Cole. There are other situations that- Well, like
0: the Biden, the uh, Hunter Biden laptop. Exactly.
1: That's a great example. Is that not crazy? It's insane. It's insane. How, how you know, for, for people who don't know, it was like just weeks before the general election, In 2020, hugely consequential election, you have this discovery of a laptop that Hunter (laughs) Biden left at a computer store. (laughs) And then you have, I think it was at 50 or 51, uh, either current or retired senior intelligence officials, like people who headed the CIA coming out with a blanket statement saying that the contents of this laptop should not be released because it could be disinformation from Russia trying to influence the outcome of our election. And then, uh, I don't know, was it the FBI who told Facebook not yeah, to... Yeah, the FBI
0: told Facebook to expect Russian propaganda in the, in the near future. Right. And then that kind of got put in with it. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg on Rogan's podcast said... He he said he didn't do what Twitter did was Twitter just will just deleted any of those tweets that were right. pe- pointing people in that direction. Facebook just downplayed it or deescalated its its growth. So no one really saw it.
1: Right. Which which is essentially the same. thing. Yeah. And that's
0: like you can't that seems totally insane that that happened.
1: Well, think about why? Why? Why did they do this? It was because they were concerned
0: oh, yeah, that right.
1: the information on the laptop would cause people to not vote for Joe Biden and instead vote for Donald Trump. Not a single one of those. Uh, there, I forget what news outlet it was, but they went back um, once the obviously the election was over and and the the information on the laptop had been released, had gone back to any of those senior intelligence or all of them, actually they reached out to all of them to say, hey, now that you know what you know, do you regret making the statement that you made blaming Russia on this? Uh, And many of them didn't respond to the question. Those that did, not a single one of them said, I regret it or I was wrong. Not a single one of them. Most of them saying, well, I stand by my statement. This is is such an egregious, I mean, this has to, this has to be called out for for what it is. This is people in in major positions of power and influence essentially stealing our democracy, stealing our right as vo- voters to have all the information available to us before making this hugely consequential de- consequential decision on who our president should be. But so, yet, this is the problem, right? This is the game that you're talking about. Yeah. This is the problem is like, no one's holding these people to account, no one's holding their feet to the fire, no one's demanding like, hey, you know, you you have completely discredited yourself if you're not willing to say, hey, I was wrong.
0: Yeah, that's like one of the Saul Alinsky, again, one of the rules, and he's got a whole section, that's not just one of his rules, he's got a a whole section on the rules of the means to an end. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, if you're gonna, you do whatever it takes. You do whatever it takes to get to what you want. And that's why people, you know, in that that situation, they go, no, I don't don't regret my statement, Mm -hmm. because it's a means to an end. And they got what they wanted, which was to get a bunch of people not to see information that may affect the way that they vote.
1: <sighs> and that is such a dangerous dangerous mindset. Dangerous mindset where again, it's it's so short-sighted because you know that that's true and I I've, I've talked to people personally who have said like, you know, there's they they will do anything and everything to prevent to prevent Donald Trump from getting elected president. He's not
0: he is he is he's very hated by it. By a bunch of people hated
1: is light, like it, lightly used. there's the a level of hatred that's just it's, <laughs> it's blinding it's blinding right it's blinding and that's how short-sighted that mentality is so you know means to an end use whatever means available and necessary to prevent that specific outcome turn the tables around what about when you're on the other end of that stick and you have the opposing side saying hey now it's your side that we believe is the most dangerous thing for America. We're willing to do whatever it takes to stop you or whoever you're advocating or whatever whatever the case may be. That is such a dangerous mentality to have, and there are examples throughout history of authoritarian dictators who themselves believe, like, I am the righteous one, I am the savior, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes because only I know what's best for the people.
0: Are you tracking the FTX meltdown at all? Marginally, I've I've read read kind of the top lines on it. But yeah, but look, it's, I don't even know what today is. I think it's the 22nd of November, but, and so this, this case is unwinding as we speak, but right now it looks bad. Yeah, Because these people were, they set up a big Ponzi scheme for all practical purposes. And with money from that Ponzi scheme, the they they were the number two donor to the Democratic Party. Right. Second only to George Soros. So and and this guy, the the guy that was running it, Sam whatever, he's <laughs> he's he's this big donor. And then they were setting him up. He was the one that was going to advise the government on how they should structure regulatory environment around digital currency. Yeah. I mean, this is this is going to get ugly. But that's the kind of situation where you're you know, on the outside you if you're a normal person in America and you're working on your farm or you're working in your factory or you're doing construction or whatever it is you're doing, you're you're not thinking that there's just straight doctor evil shit going on yeah. where this dude's paying to have all these people elected. I mean, you don't think that a hundred million dollars has an impact mm-hmm. on on the way an election turns out? I mean, that's having a huge impact, yeah. a huge impact. And so here's this guy, and now he's getting, uh, oh yeah, you, you donated money, so we're gonna let you set up the regulations yeah. around cryptocurrency, which is the business that you're in. Which is what? And again, I'm not following the case too close, and it's really early, and not a lot of it's come out. But one of the other crypto dudes, CZ, some guy named CZ, he was like, "Oh, you're he uh, Sam was trying to set the gig up for himself. Of course,
1: it and, wasn't out of like this altruism oh, of like yeah. blockchain technology and yeah. cryptocurrency, and you know all of you know for people who are, are big advocates of that and the opportunity they see for that in the world of technology. That was not his. It did not appear to be his motivation (laughs) and this dude cz
0: was like oh i see what you're trying to do and he is the one that kind of caused this whole thing to far fall apart which now, of course, you think, well, thankfully it fell apart when it did, because it was a big house of cards anyways. Yeah. But as you look at this, like I said, as a normal human that lives in America, and you, you, th- you don't think that there's Dr. Evil shit going down where people are buying elections. You're thinking that things are like, hey, this is America. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, there is this kind of thing going on. There is this yeah. massive amount of influence. The big tech really is doing this kind of thing. The, the politicians really are bought. And by the way, that company gave money to Republicans as well. They were hedging their bets. Mm-hmm. They, they should have hedged their bets better with their freaking Bitcoin, by the way, because <laughs> it ended up costing, but they hedged their bets Republican and Democrat. More, much more to the Democrats, probably because they thought, oh, well, Democrats are gonna be in power, so we better support them right now. Yeah, And, and so I think that's what's really disturbing. This game is being played. The surface of it, you know, we all think it's on the up and up. And as soon as you look below the surface, it's dirty yeah. and it's corrupt and it's disgusting.
1: Yeah. That pay to play. I mean, it's, it's a perfect example of the whole pay to play mentality that, that is so relevant in Washington. I think last time we, I was on your show, we talked a little bit about big pharma. Same thing. You look at how is it possible that, that still big pharma has so much power and so much influence in Washington. They get sweet deals so that they can make more profits even when you're looking at government purchases of, of government, uh, of, of healthcare, buying, buying prescription drugs. They're, I think so- most people in society recognize that this kind of outsized influence is wrong and it's counter to the, the public interest and yet many members of Congress are bought off by Big Pharma and they won't take those votes They won't take those votes that hurt the people who give them their campaign donations and give them their campaign checks. Big Pharma spends more money on political contributions and lobbying than they do on those crazy television ads that we see all the time of like, you know, the the happy family frolicking in the meadow promoting whatever yeah. the drug may be right. and side the,
0: effects might be yeah. suicidal ideations <laughs> <Exactly>. massive <laughs> diarrhea <laughs> and right yep.
1: and I don't think you can turn on I don't think you can watch like one commercial like segment without seeing at least one prescription drug ad mm. and you think about the the fact that how like TV ads are expensive very expensive and then you think about well gosh they're spending multiple times that amount to influence to buy influence mm. in our government to protect themselves.
0: How does a politician put money in their own pocket from a big pharma? Uh,
1: I think there, there's a, a spectrum there. Um, you know, Those who are actually following all the laws make it so that uh, those kinds of contributions make it so that they are getting the vast majority of the money in their political campaign, which gives them security against any potential challenger Uh, are coming from these big corporations and lobbyists rather than from voters. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's kind of the first thing. If you look at like, hey, if you're following the letter of the law, even then you're protecting your own self-interest rather than what's the interest of the people in your constituency who are actually the ones who are hiring you. Uh, You look at the most, one of the most egregious examples is where politicians will take money in their campaign and Either live in the gray space of like, oh well, you know, and there are examples of this. Like, I'm going to use campaign money to pay for my spouse's salary because my spouse is helping out on the campaign, or I'm going to use, you know, hundred thousand dollars to pay for childcare because by paying for childcare, then I can go out and work on my campaign. Um, there, there was somebody that I worked with in Congress who used. I mean, he, he actually got convicted uh, because he was breaking the law, but used all, hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay his rent, to pay for uh, dental bills for his family, to pay for all kinds of personal uh, expenses. And, and, you know, still to this day, he's just like, oh, this is a witch hunt. This is, you know, they're coming after me because they don't like what I'm saying. Like, no, dude, you broke the law, mm-hmm. you know. But there's, there's a whole spectrum there. I think all of which end up in a place where, you know, these are self-serving interests rather than actually being accountable to to your voters.
0: How do you? Because uh, I get asked this. How do you square up the distrust of the government with I'm going to serve in the armed forces? A question I get asked a lot. Yeah. And and I answer it, but how how do you answer that? You're you're not active duty, but you're a current reservist, yeah. you go on active duty on a pretty regular basis, and yet you know the you know what, how the sausage is made in Washington, D.C. How do you square those two opposing things that are going on?
1: I'm proud to wear the uniform of this country and the American flag. I'm proud to do my part in upholding that oath that we take when we enlist in the service. I'm honored to serve with great Americans who share that same mission and those ideals. I have, because I'm in the reserves and not active duty, I'm in the unique position of also being able to try to effect change in the political sense, recognizing we have a civilian-led military uh, in trying to lead our country in the right direction to where we are honoring that vision that our founders had for us, that we are honoring the service and sacrifice being made by our brothers and sisters in uniform and their families, and that we are making the best decisions that serve our own national security interests and the freedom and prosperity of, of the American people. Um, when we have people in politics who are so compromised by the military industrial complex or one interest or another that is not the interest of the country and the American people. Obviously, those in in the military are the ones who suffer the consequences when they make self-serving decisions. Um, Even as somebody who served in Iraq, like you, whether we agree or disagree with those decisions that are made by those civilians in leadership, it does not undermine the promise that we make to each other uh, and to the Constitution. As we continue to fulfill that, to fulfill that promise.
0: Yeah, obviously for me, uh, besides the <laughs> the just freaking awesome job that it is being in the military, which I loved being in the military, but when you're in the military, you can you have an opportunity to sort of mitigate the bad decisions that get made, yeah. and you also get the opportunity to shape. The military itself. So when you're in the military, you can do a much better job of of taking people and like getting people the right mindset that's going to be beneficial for the country and for whatever country we're going into. Yeah. As opposed to if you're not in the military and you're sitting on the outside saying, "Well, it should be like this." Oh, if you're in the military, you can actually make some of those things happen. Exactly. And you can do it within the within the guidelines that are set forth by the military, but you can do it in a positive way. So I guess that's how I always tried to square it's, it myself. It's so
1: true. It's so true. And, and right now um, I, I'm grateful too. i grateful to, I often have the opportunity to go and provide in the army, they call it LPD. It's like leadership professional development sessions with either uh, soldiers who are going through training pipelines or those who are out in the force um, for exactly that purpose mm-hmm. to, to have hopefully have an impact in, in helping make sure that we have discerning leaders in the military, not just robots who you know, aren't actually thinking through um, the kind of responsibility that they have, regardless of their rank, as they're carrying out uh, their task uh, yeah. and their mission.
0: The other cool thing for you is, you being able to explain to leaders in the military, hey, this is what it looks like exactly. from the governmental side. You should probably go brief every military unit you know, with what's yeah. going on with that. Cause I mean, even when I was in, I would s- kinda get, try and grasp that and try and explain to people hey this is what it looks like from a political political perspective but for you that's that's you have the real experience to say hey this is why we're getting asked to do this yeah. this is what it looks like here's what it took to get this decision made yeah. here's why we need to execute it here's what happens if we don't so that's it's pretty it powerful it
1: is it is and and you know I've I've had the opportunity to work a lot within the special operations community particularly cuz they they are looking for this kinds of insight uh, and one thing I've really appreciated, especially in the special operations community versus the conventional military where it's not, where it's not really encouraged so much, but really that problem-solving mindset, um, a little bit of that challenging mindset uh, where, you know, being a robot is discouraged you are actually encouraged and incentivized to be somebody who's like, hey, how can we do this better? Or why is this actually the best way? Or how was this decision made, whether you're an NCO or an officer? And and I just having that, encouraging that critical thinking and recognizing again the impact that you have on people is is so important and I wish it was something that was more encouraged across the military uh, as a whole.
0: What are you right now, a Lieutenant Colonel?
1: dang
0: <laughs> right, when are you up for colonel Fulbird, Colonel?
1: colonel uh, I think the window opens maybe in about a year or two um, yeah I'm not, I'm not exactly sure but uh, we'll see the The results of the command board are supposed to come out any day now and so, if I oh, have if I have uh, I'll find out if I have the, the privilege of being selected to be a battalion commander for a, a civil affairs dang. reserves battalion
0: what are your chances? Be pretty awesome. Is it like how, how hard is it to get selected for that?
1: Um, it all depends on in the reserves. It's a little bit different than, than the active duty where um, obviously you've got to be able to balance your time with whatever your civilian job or profession might be with with um, uh, the responsibilities of being a battalion commander. Um, so it, it kind of depends on how many people are opting in or out mm-hmm. uh, on any given year. But there's a lot more. It, it is competitive. It so is competitive.
0: If you get picked up as a reservist battalion commander, do you? How much time do you have to spend, like active, as a battalion commander? Do you have to do more?
1: On paper, you have the same minimum requirement of you know the the one weekend a month, two weeks a year. Mm-hmm. But a friend of mine uh, was selected last year. He's a little bit ahead of me, um, and there's there's a lot of love time. As mm-hmm. we say, there's a lot of love time. Uh, cause in a reserve unit, you rely a lot on your full-time staff, the full-time uh, reservists who are running the staff shops, you know, the Got personnel it. shop, the operations shop, and, and supply you go give and them everything love. else. And uh, I, he he's gonna give me his best practices cause he's just like, yeah, he's he runs his own business. It's kind of, uh, and his business is doing very well. Uh, he has different projects around the world and, and he's also a reserve battalion commander and he's just like, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot, but it's it's freaking awesome. Yeah, I'm, yeah.
0: And so, other than that, what are we? Yeah, how? What else you got going on right now?
1: Um, what else are we doing? You got I, the Tulsi Gabbard we show. Tulsi Gabbard which show. you finally launched. I know it took forever. you came
0: you came and talked to Echo and I about that. I think that's I why you stopped by you came by I you did. came by to like uh, suck our brains on what you know, how yeah. to do a podcast. yeah. and Echo decided to give you all of his advice. yeah
1: <laughs> Yep. I took notes. Um, we, we took we took uh, we took all of the advice. Uh, I, after that, I ended up getting deployed to East Africa and was gone for a while and then came back and just, you know, A lot of things happened, uh, but yeah, finally, finally pushed it out, and it's just you know, I mean, it's it's such a great opportunity and platform to be able to to dive into you know different issues, different topics, have have great conversations, Um, and so you know, where people like it, you know, like the guy in in the you know the coffee shop in Greensboro, (laughs) he's like, oh my god, why don't you leave a different kind of, oh, okay, go listen. This episode one will tell you exactly the answer to what you're looking for. How
0: often are you doing the podcast? Come out once a week? Uh, once a week,
1: every out? Tuesday. Push out a new episode every Tuesday.
0: And where are you recording them? Wherever?
1: I am, for the most part, recording at home in Hawaii. We got rid of a living room. We lived in a, a tiny two-bedroom place and uh, decided that having a studio was more practical than having a living room. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we were like, if we're just sitting around on the couch or not, we're not using our time very well. So we got rid of the couch and um, my husband's a cinematographer. So he put together a studio oh. and so I'm sure there will be on the road ones at different points, but uh, so far doing them from home. And OI. then
0: what do you have a sub stack? Did I see that?
1: Yeah. So, so what's going just on recognize, you know, like my whole approach is there's so many different platforms that people get information from. And some people like to listen to podcasts. Other people don't like podcasts and they, they would rather watch cable news and other people don't like any of that and would rather read. And so for each of the episodes, um, at a minimum for each of the, the podcasts that I'm putting out that I'm talking about a different issue, uh, I jot down my notes mm-hmm. and put them out on Substack for people who just want to get a little bit of a summary um, of where I stand on certain things or my thoughts or views on on a something that might be happening in the news or something like that.
0: And then YouTube, you're on YouTube.
1: We're on YouTube, on Rumble.
0: And and you're, oh yeah, no, oh, you're on Rumble. Rumble, Echo Charles, mm-hmm. what's up? Oh, I think we're on Rumble, yeah. <laughs> Wait, you think we're on Rumble? Because I know I talked to you about getting yes. us on Rumble.
2: Yeah, uh I think it's a matter of how many
0: episodes are on Rumble. Okay, so we're kind of on Rumble. Let me double check that. Okay. I'll get back you know, to you. Okay, see. right on. I appreciate He'll that. circle one. back. He'll circle yeah, back. Yeah, circle
1: back.
0: <laughs> 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 and uh then you're doing some spots on Fox News. You sat in for Tucker Tucker Carlson the other night.
1: Yeah. Um second time uh, he or he or his team asked for me to uh to guest host for him when he was off. And that that man, that's a new experience. Yeah. Um, I've I've never done that before anywhere else, and um, hosting an hour, forty four minutes when you count in mm-hmm. you know commercials of live television is definitely a new experience, it, a different level of like, there ain't no room for mistakes. It's a thing. It's, it's a <laughs>
0: thing that it's a thing that people have. Some people are good at it. Like when you, you when you go and you see what the what the news, what are they called? Newscasters? Broadcasters? What are they called? Hosts? What are they called? What, yeah, what I mean, is Tucker if, Carlson? It,
1: he would be a host okay. because, you know, he, he's, he's more on the opinion side of things than like your, your Brett Bear on Fox is a little bit more of like a news, kind Got of it. more of a straight news guy.
0: When you see what, that job, I would not like that job.
1: Yeah. Do you like it? I had a lot more fun than I expected to have, to be honest. I, it was, it was certainly a lot of, because, you know, his show is on every night. And obviously, Tucker's been doing this forever, and he's, he's you know good at it. Mm-hmm. I'd say I mean he has he has the top-rated show on Fox News, and so um, you know for me going in, I sometimes they have guest hosts who literally just show up and then they get given the whatever's going to be on the mm-hmm. teleprompter. Um, I'm not I, I don't I wouldn't do that for anybody. Um, if I'm reading words on a teleprompter, they're going to be words that I wrote. Mm-hmm. And so, working with his team to write and structure the show, you know, all within the span of like a six-hour time frame, it's a lot. It's a lot, and uh, but it's look. I mean, it. I, I actually did end up having having fun, just just taking advantage of the opportunity to be able to share my own views on what's happening and and have conversations with people. It is challenging and like okay, you get four minutes to talk to somebody <laughs> and you got somebody in your ear. Like literally like I asked the first question and the producer's like, okay, you have ninety seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, rap, rap, rap. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I would love to either challenge what they're saying or ask another follow up or whatever. And
0: it is the weirdest and my buddy Leif, who I wrote books with, and he, when his wife worked at Fox News and Jenna Lee. And so I would, when I would go to New York, you know, a lot of times I would just stay with them. And so I would kind of see her schedule and life and I was like, oh my God, yeah, it's, grueling it's grueling i didn't want anything to do with that so (laughs) even the one hour session one now i guess you're gonna get good a person would get better at it you know and you could see that jenna she was totally comfortable with it i mean it's just the way it is it's
1: just like anything yeah just like
0: anything else you're gonna get used to it but that's a yeah uh you know have you ever been on maria's show maria bartolano i have yeah that that i I was so impressed with that woman when i've gone on her show i've gone on her show a number of times Mm -hmm. and she's just She's got to be so smart. Yeah, (laughs) I would sit there and go because you know you're watching her beforehand, you're watching her in between. Because like you said, in between they're like, hey, we got this one, and here's these numbers, and then like boom, the camera goes back on, the red light comes on, and she's all just squared away with everything she's saying. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a different kind of human. You can tell. There's a skill, I guess. There's a certain, you know, like Michael Jordan's going to be good at basketball. There's a certain type of human being that's going to be good at that job.
1: Yeah, you've got to be. I mean obviously you've got to be very focused and you've got to be able to discern kind of the of all of the the activity and voice in your ears and everything else that's going around you got to be able to separate kind of the noise from the task at hand and not allow yourself to be um, shaken or distracted by whatever is going on around you and that's that's part of it
0: so are you going to do it more
1: We'll, uh, see. we'll see. They they <laughs> say they uh, they they've been pretty happy with it, and and so they're saying like, okay, well, we look forward to having you do it more often.
0: You used to catch a lot of crap for uh, going on Fox News. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I even I have because I've go I go on Fox News. I still go on Fox News. You know how many times CNN has asked me to be on CNN? Zero.
1: Zero.
0: <laughs> yeah. Zero. Yeah. Uh, same thing with any other, Fox News, ask MSNBC. me. MSNBC. Yeah, MSNBC. They, they, yeah. they don't ask me to come on and talk to them. Yeah. That's, but you, I mean, I guess, it's especially. The same thing. Yeah. It's
1: the same thing. You know, it, It. towards the end of my, well, first of all, like, throughout the entire time that I was in Congress, you know, I I was asked on all, all three of the different networks. Um. Over the years, the invitations have shifted and changed based on whatever I was advocating for, if like CNN wasn't really Mm -hmm. going after it, then like, oh, I wonder why I don't hear from this show or that show. that
0: literally happened to you?
1: Literally and and noticeably.
0: When you first showed up as a congresswoman and you were kind of like, a little bit of a kind of a rising star, right? So they say. So you were a rising star. Were you just, were they calling you all the time?
1: All the time. And I just like, I I was just, you know, over the years people are like, oh, you know, who's your publicist? Who's doing all this? I was like, my phone's just ringing. I don't have a publicist. I have somebody who used to be like a communications intern who's answering the phone calls, but it was very, very unexpected. And I was just like, okay, like I'll take advantage. Like if it makes sense, then I'll take advantage of this platform to be able to say what I want to say. But um, it was a palpable shift mm-hmm. over the years. As you know, I would I would speak out on a certain issue, or um, you know, I didn't support Hillary Clinton in 2016, and that was like, oh, okay, blasphemy. well, it was literally considered blasphemy in politics. And then again in in 2020 when I ran for president. Um it was, you know, I I saw this shift uh, just throughout that campaign, where there was already a negative bias towards me from the day that I announced my candidacy, uh, because I had a track record of being somebody who called it straight and was very outspoken against the foreign policy establishment in Washington and their decisions. And uh, that that progressed throughout the campaign, where it got to a point where, um, instead of even covering me or instead of mentioning, hey, this person is a candidate for president, they just stopped including my name in articles about <laughs> Democrats running for president completely as though I didn't exist. It, w- it was a media blackout at a certain point. Throughout the time, Fox News consistently has been a platform where I've been invited on consistently.
0: Did they invite you to talk about issues that you were in disagreement with yeah. them?
1: Yeah, yeah, over the years. They just and, didn't care they didn't care and one thing that that I've heard from different hosts of different shows and even some of the you know like the executives at Fox is like Tulsa, we really like having you on cuz we never know what you're going to say." <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you are you are unpredictable and and that's why our audience likes you cuz you you you're an interesting person. You have something interesting to say that's not just like one party's talking points or you know whatever the popular thing yeah. is of the day. And I think that that says Something about media as a whole, but the fact that they they just say, "Come on and say your piece." I go on and say my piece. Whether the host agrees or disagrees, maybe that's part of the conversation, but it's not it's not the deciding factor of of whether they have me on or not.
0: But the other news networks, it was a deciding factor.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I and that's what people on social media are like. Oh, how come you're always on Fox News? You know, you're letting them take advantage of you and all this other stuff. It's like, no, I'm taking advantage of the platform. Number one because they reach millions of people more than any other cable news network. And number two, CNN and MSNBC, they, don't, they, they haven't asked me on their air for years on any issue. Like Eve, I reached out once on veterans issues, toxic burn pits, things, things that I've worked on in Congress and still really passionate about and trying to advance no interest whatsoever. That's like kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's very <laughs> revealing. Very revealing.
0: So you would reach out to CNN and say, hey, I would like to talk to you about the veterans that have been around these toxic burn pits and now they've got diseases. Would you like to do this? And yeah. they'd be
1: like, no. The response I got back, and this was the, that was the last time I reached out, the response Mm-mm. I got back was like, oh, interesting. Let me check with the producers. And then radio <laughs> silence. Like they didn't, they didn't have the balls to come back and say like, yeah, no thanks. Not interested. It was just like no response. <sighs>
0: Well, you have your own platform now, right? You got the the, the podcast, the YouTube channel, um, the the Substack thing going on. TulsiGabbard.com, you're on there.
1: TulsiGabbard.com, um, I'm working on a book right now as well. Um, two books actually focused on why I left the Democratic Party mm-hmm. and the other book focused on the cost of war.
0: Uh, do you already have a publisher for these? I do. Sweet, and so when are these things coming out?
1: Uh, Working on the sequencing, uh, but I hope to have uh, one of the books out by, I don't know, early next year, spring.
0: What about politics in
1: your future? I don't know, I don't know is the honest answer. It's, um, I want to be in a position where I can best make a positive impact and where I feel I can best serve. I am terribly concerned for all of the reasons that we've talked about today about the failure. It's not even a lack of leadership. It's, 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 a, it's a sincere failure of leadership uh, in this country. And um, if there is a way for me to actually directly impact that leadership, uh, then I will pursue that. Whether that means I'm running for office or trying to impact those who are in office, we'll see. The The vehicle is, is uh, less important than the impact mm-hmm. to me. But you may
0: go back into politics? Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. <sighs> what is it? <laughs> Echo. Yes. What do you got? Anything else?
2: No, I was gonna ask that. You we running for anything, or you know, thinking about it, or what? But you know, we got that answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still surfing, obviously. Yes, Water not as often as died. I'd
1: like, but no. Uh, how much you traveling now? Waterwoman is alive as well. A lot lately. <laughs> a lot. I've been on the road in the last two months. I've probably been home. Uh, I don't know, two weeks out of that period of time. You spend a lot of
0: time campaigning for people too.
1: Yes, which was, you know, after I announced that I was leaving the Democratic Party, becoming an independent, um, my phone started ringing off the hook from people in what, you know, what they call the swing states, mm-hmm. the states that can either go Democrat or Republican, a lot of close races and people invited me to come out um, and help campaign for them, recognizing that there are a lot of undecided people, whether they're independents or Democrats or Republicans who are frustrated. Um, with the current state of affairs and current leadership, um, and so yeah, I, I who took reached the out to you mostly?
0: Democrats or Republicans?
1: Republicans. Did any Democrats reach out to you? No. If they had, if there were, if there were a Democrat running for Congress who was openly calling out the insanity of the Democrat leadership of today and taking a strong stand on the things we're talking about on, on just basic fundamentals of freedom. I would have happily gone and campaigned for them. Uh, not a single one reached out, and I've been looking. I've been looking for for those vo- those courageous voices to actually step out, and unfortunately, um, that hasn't been there. And I, I've I've heard from some people privately, just and and really over over the last few years, who are saying, "Hey, thank you so much for speaking out on these things." Uh, I appreciate what you're doing, but also don't tell anyone. <laughs> and so it's, it's sad. It's unfortunate, but part of like the, the last thing I said in my announcement of leaving the democratic party is I invite, I invite other Democrats uh, to join me. Has anyone? Not yet. Uh, Not yet.
0: Uh, all right. So, um, I guess we should real quick talk about supporting this podcast. Of course you're gonna support Tulsi's podcast, but if you wanna support this podcast, you wanna support America, and you wanna support yourself, you can. You can do it. We got a bunch of different ways for you to do it. How has your uh, energy drink been? Love it. So you immediately went for a mango flavor, which is the, I mean, is it safe to say this is more of a Hawaiian vibe?
2: Yeah, especially with the lily liliquine in there, AKA passion fruit. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so we got a little bit of that going on. You can get this stuff from jacofuel.com. You can get it at Wawa, you can get it at Vitamin Shop. you can get it, we're in all military commissaries.
1: I've noticed that,
0: I yes. was in the commissary yes.
1: uh, at Kanyoya Marine Corps Base a yes. uh, week and a half ago and I almost took a picture, I was like, hey, Jockofuel. <laughs> <laughs> we're about
0: to be in the exchanges too, which is cool because if you're in the military, you know the commissaries, basically families go to commissaries, mm-hmm. like the young, Enlisted guys, they're not going to the commissary. It takes too much time or whatever. But they go to the exchange, exchange, you know, they sell gas and whatever, beer. Yeah. So now you can get some Jocko fuel. You will be able to in the very near future. But, um, how do you,
2: how do you, like, is there a, like, red taped process to get into, like, a store? There is. Yep. So, like, like, I was at the, I was at a shot, uh, done. Shop the Mm -hmm. other I don't know week ago whatever and they're like hey bring those energy drinks we Mm -hmm. want to sell them or whatever I can't just be like oh I got some at home and bring them right
0: or can wait which store was it like a local
2: yeah yeah San Diego Discount Unmarked
0: yeah we just we we they go wholesale so if anybody wants to do wholesale this Mm -hmm. is like if you got a store you got a gym you got a a jiu jitsu academy you can go to JF Sales. At oh. JockoFuel.com, and email that, and you get a wholesale account set up, and and that, then you can do it. Oh, okay, so, so the red tape is
2: more for the the store, really, right? Yeah,
0: the uh, yeah a little bit, but not really. I mean, when somebody wants to bring something into their store, they can just right. get a wholesale account and set it up. Now, if sure. they have a big chain store, mm-hmm. that's where it run. That's where you run into. It. And at some point, I got to do some kind of a podcast about what it goes on. Mm. That'd be interesting because, for instance, we're so it's kind of cool, it's kind of complimentary when you start making a dent. All of a sudden the big, the big giant billion dollar corporations realize that you're making a dent and they come after you. So for instance, I don't know how much I can say about this but I'll say a little bit. Uh, in one particular store that we're in, one of the big companies came in and paid millions of dollars, millions of dollars for our slots Hmm. in, in this particular store
1: and like slots, meaning room on the shelf,
0: room on the shelf. Interesting. They said, we really don't want Jocko fuel to be out there. We don't, we see what they're doing. We see their growth. We don't like it. We have to go on the offense. And so they paid millions and millions of dollars to take our shelf space from us. And, and, and I can't even be mad at the store because the store is trying to make profit and they're trying to do what they're doing yeah. and they also have to keep a relationship with the big giant companies, otherwise they won't be able to supply things that those big giant companies put out there. So that's what happens. Mm. That's the fight we're in right now. It's kind of cool because it means you're, 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 you're growing to a point where, and pe- the weird thing is people kind of, all these big companies, and when I say big companies, I'm not mincing any, I'm talking about the biggest companies there are, Mm -hmm. they know what we're doing Mm. They're They're now taking active countermeasures to try and shut us down because they know that kind of on a, on a product, we, they can't beat us Mm. because we held the line. We're making it good for you. We're doing all these things that they're not going to do. They would rather sacrifice millions of dollars to buy that shelf space than pay. Create
1: a better product. product. (laughs) So that says a lot about competition.
0: That's what we're up against. And cool, like this is it. This is what we're doing, Um, and we're gonna have some setbacks like that. But the cool thing is, the product is better. We know it's better. They know it's better. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they would just go toe to toe, right? Oh, yeah. You'd just be like, cool, let's do this. Yeah. But they don't they, wanna do that. <laughs> they, they,
1: man, there there are some <laughs> interesting parallels to what we were talking about, about substance versus trying to silence or push out anybody who has a counter narrative. Yeah. Same, I mean, you're, you're seeing it play out. seen it play right out. Now.
0: and it, But it is crazy and that's why big corporations with bill, bi, bi, with a B, billions of dollars, they do their best to destroy the smaller companies mm-hmm. that are growing. And that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how it plays out. I can tell you how it's playing out right now, it's playing out good. <laughs> because we're gonna continue to make the best product, we're gonna continue to grow, and we, and the cool thing is the demand signal. The demand signal, that's what, like in this particular store that I'm talking about, and it's a it's a whole group of stores, but they they took some slots, the big billion dollar corporation took some slots, but the store wouldn't give up all of them. They took some but they said, hey man, people are in here every day for that Jocko Fuel. We're not giving this up, we're not taking this away from our customers. Yeah. We can't just screw over our customers. We can screw them over a little bit, but we can't screw them all the way over. So they kept a bunch of a bunch of our product in the store, but not as much as we wanted, but it's fine, it's fine. So if you want to support America, <laughs> and you want to support the growing companies, you want to support people that are Growing things in America, then JockoFuel.com. It's the same thing with Origin USA, OriginUSA.com. And by the way, next time you're in North Carolina, you gotta go to our factory. Oh, down I America.
1: know. I've been talking to Pete. Yeah. And I think we we may have something planned in December. We'll see.
0: Good Origin. I was supposed to go down there. I was supposed to go to the North Carolina factory for Veterans Day. Instead, I went to the main factory because there was a freaking hurricane hitting North Carolina, <laughs> so I couldn't go down there. But yeah, next time you're down there, it's the same thing. Yeah. The billion dollar corporations see what we're doing. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is, they, they saw what we were doing and like before we were even doing very much, they were threatened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, it's, I think it's because the truth is so threatening. Mm-hmm. And when you have someone that's like, no, actually you can build this stuff in America and when for years they say you can't do it, you mm-hmm. can't do it, you can't. They're, they're, they're lying. And so now there's someone saying, oh yeah, look at this over here. Look what we're actually doing right now, mm-hmm. 100% in America, look. And they, they are scared. And so since day one, they've been onto us. The, the, the food companies, they're kind of taking notice in the last six months where they're like, oh shit. The, the clothing companies, they've been on us because they're scared. Mm. Because we're doing everything right and they're doing everything wrong and that's just all there is to it.
1: I think they recognize too, kind of the difference between the, the fast fashion, just buying like the cheap stuff, use it a few times and then throw it away versus the conscious choice that I think a lot of people are starting to make is like, okay, I might pay a few more dollars, but I will take pride in knowing that in Origins case, from the cotton that's grown to the final hands that are putting those jeans in a bag these were American hands that, and hard work and sweat that went into creating yep. this, and I will wear this with pride.
0: Yeah, and by the way, that hard work, these are people that have mortgages, mm-hmm. that are learning. A, like we got kids, I shouldn't call them kids, but you know, people that are 23 years old, 22 years old, that now have a skill, that they have a career now whether it's running a loom, whether it's running a a press, whatever skill they're getting, they're getting a skill that they can now have, they have a real job, they have a career, they have a life. So that's what you're supporting. Also, environmentally, this is America. Exactly. We treat the environment well. Those factories that you're buying from overseas, especially from these companies that claim to be environmental companies and they're producing their stuff. Why are they producing their stuff overseas? Because overseas they don't have the regulations. They don't have the environmental regulations that we have to abide by, which we do gladly because we care about the environment. We care about the water, yeah, right? Exactly. We care about the, the nature. We care about animals. That's what we do. And, and so these big companies, they know that we're right and they are so horrified Mm. that the word's getting out. The word's getting out that we're here, we're doing it, they're horrified. If you wanna help that out, originusa.com. Get something that you're gonna wear for the next 18 years. Exactly. You're gonna wear a pair of jeans for 14 years. You're gonna wear a pair of these boots forever. They might be forever. I mean, how long are you gonna live? Maybe you live to be 100, (laughs) right? But you're gonna use a jujitsu gi? Get, get one gi, get two gis, you can use them forever. Yeah. And by the way, our jiu-jitsu gi, you can wash it in a normal washing machine. It doesn't take nine hours to dry out. Like we're in a totally different world.
1: Yeah, plus it's Christmas coming up. Christmas yeah. is coming up.
0: Christmas coming up and the economy, we all know the economy needs help. Yeah. Well, how do you help the economy? When you buy something from origin, you're helping the economy here in America. There's a worker that's getting paid, that's earning their career, that's paying their rent, paying their mortgage because of that. And then what do they do? They take that paycheck and they put it back into America. It's like that's what we're doing. So, originusa.com. Yep. Speaking of some uh, stuff.
2: Speaking of Christmas, sometimes you want to get a shirt or something new. <laughs> these people <are> representing. I'm <laughs> telling you, you want a discipline Eagles freedom shirt or hat mm-hmm. or hoodie, whatever. Go to choco
0: store.com. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of which, my l- youngest daughter. Yes, Um, is wrestling at this time you know it's wrestling season we need some rash guards for her you know just I got you you to kind of make that happen yeah yeah we got a few rash guards on there she wants to represent there you go on the
2: path I'll get you a shirt too alright right, you don't have one already get you a tank top something like that also shirt locker it's a subscription scenario where you get a shirt every month some good stuff coming out no free dopamine it's oh, gonna be a good one that one kind of kind of gets some traction on that huh? Yeah, i like that yeah, no free so. dopamine there's some good ones on there good thing too if you sign up no matter when you sign up you have access to all the past shirts like if you think oh you missed out or something like that you got access to that when you sign up so whatever you need jockostore.com
0: you know again like back in the day when i was a kid if you had some kind of crazy sort of movement in your life that you wanted to make a statement about just get a T-shirt, bro. Yeah, yeah, you don't yourself, need to get any kind right. of surgery, man. Get <laughs> yeah, a T-shirt. Right. <laughs> your, put your statement on the T-shirt. Wear a yep. discipline equals freedom T-shirt. There you go. Yep. And in in eight years, if you decide, you know what? I'm not really all about that discipline anymore. Cool. You get a different T-shirt. That let's, let's get some yeah. donuts, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> let's stick with that. There's an anti-donut shirt coming out too, by the way. Shirt locker. Wow. Mm.
1: That's controversial, man. That's highly yeah. controversial.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that one was kind of hard to to pull off. You know, because like, how do you? Do? Well, then again, there's a lot of ways to do it. But I think we got it.
0: Donuts. Look as as donuts again go. for me, and I get it. I get that there's two sides to every controversial thing in the world. But I, I just can't support donuts. I can't ever do it. like no, never I can't, ever. I can't do it. I so can't do so it.
1: let me ask you this. Like so like every once in a great while, <laughs> every once in a great while, like when I finished. Uh, day zero of aerosol school mm. in Hawaii. I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to give me some donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I earned this shit <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> once in a great while. Yeah, I, I get what, it. What do you what, what's what's your once in a great while? I um,
0: meant chocolate chip ice cream. Okay. And, and, and straight just chocolate chip cookies. All right. And you know, by the way, if you're out there and you're going to send chocolate chip cookies to, or cookies to someone, just send them chocolate chip cookies. Don't send them peanut butter cookies. Mm-hmm. Definitely don't send them oatmeal raisin cookies. No, 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 that's a because, because oatmeal raisin cookies, look at first glance, I got chocolate chip yeah. cookies.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: what is the point? No. What yeah. is the point? It's so better. You look, might as well eat oatmeal, right? You might as well eat oatmeal, come on. <laughs> come on. Uh,
1: there, are, there are two kinds, there's two foods that I, I, I don't like, oatmeal and cooked carrots. Just, just nasty at the gym. Just, those are just two things. I'm, I'm not really picky otherwise. But oatmeal and cooked carrots. I'm not happening.
0: So Ryan Job, tasking a bruiser. God, God bless him. Um, he, he was killed. Um, or he's wounded in Iraq, died of wounds. He, ha- he hated, uh, cottage cheese, mm-hmm. and so the smell of cottage cheese, he would start gagging, <laughs> gagging oh and there was a time he was getting, uh, let's say some, some counseling from his platoon <laughs> and he was under a kangaroo court, right? And they're like, you know, Bagels, his nickname was Bagels, Bagels, you know, if you really love, I forget what it was, but it was something like, you know, if you really love the teams, you're gonna eat this cottage cheese. And like, they're, they're spooning <laughs> oh it to his mouth gosh. and as, he's go, as it's going to his mouth, he's like keeping <laughs> it. Like, and he's just choking it down and throwing up. It was freaking hysterical. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. counseling. Uh, yeah. He's character getting, building. receiving some character building. You got to watch out that, co- but there's certain foods that do yeah. that to some people. Yeah. yeah. And apparently it's cooked carrots.
1: Yeah. I just don't like them. The thing that I, um, that has that effect, like that physical effect is actually, um, just bananas. Like I will throw frozen <sighs> bananas in my smoothies, um, banana bread. Great. But, uh, I think it was because in basic training, like, I, I i mean it was it was you you will eat one banana with every meal huh. um because of whatever would just prevent cramping uh-huh. like i don't know whatever it was and it, it just it literally got to a point where i was just like like the gag reflex was so i i to this day i don't I won't eat. That's crazy,
2: huh? Because the 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 banana in the milkshake is that's the tulsi jam. Oh no, oh. the frozen,
1: frozen. The yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I I won't. We actually I won't. owe you money on
0: that. Like yeah, yeah, that's like a known thing. We've been propping up the tulsi oh, okay. frozen banana for yeah. a while. That's, it
1: adds just that little bit of cream, and we, I love it. I love it. We all, do. but it's yeah. just like that. The fresh. fresh there was a, I, I was on
0: deployment. I was on a ship on deployment. This no war going on. We're just trying to get jacked, and there was this. This protein shake that was vanilla, and I was drinking it like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, trying to put on the prize, right? <laughs> and it was by the time, probably, probably two months into a six month deployment, I, I I had to hold my nose mm. and drink it like it was just a shot of tequila, just like oh, it made me want, made me want to throw up. And that kind of that kind of gave me like the kind of PTS, yeah. banana PTSD. You're talking about- It's I, more
1: the association. Yeah, right? I yeah. Can,
0: even to this day, vanilla is not one of my favorites yeah. just because of that one six month period of choking down. Yeah. I mean, you know when you go on deployment and you have like a, like a palate and it's just filled with mm. one flavor, you know you're screwed. Totally. Especially because on a ship, like the food kind of sucks. And I if can't you're not imagine. getting good, you gotta get your protein from somewhere, so
2: there you go. But he, Well, he can't, technic- back to the donuts thing real quick.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He can't advocate even for uh, moderation. I painted and myself donuts. into a corner with yeah, donuts.
0: Yeah. I painted myself into a corner with donuts. Probably the one of the few things in the world, other than if you're ISIS, we're not gonna get along. <laughs> the other one is like, I can't really decide, hey, yeah. maybe donuts are okay on this occasion. Even when people have like protein donuts, you yeah, know what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, hell yeah. Like Nutrition Solutions, yeah, they make yeah. protein donuts. Yep. I'm sure they're good to go, yeah. and I'm sure they're 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 like in compliance with the path. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I I just can't do it because it's yeah. a moral victory for the donut. Yeah, you like <laughs> donut yeah. still got in there. Yeah, you
2: declared anti donut early on too. Yeah, I went so, hard. Yeah, yeah. So you cannot just like like how you now, and also hey, wait, is
0: it my ego though? Yes, it's just part, my ego. It's part of the gig for sure. Or is it just hey, I'm gonna just maintain the path here?
2: Oh yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> but there's that other part, too, though, just like the alcohol. You know, Holly, you're like, hey, I can't advocate for alcohol at all. Yep. Well, even though we all know that, hey, mo- most people in moderation, then they're not going to have problems. Yeah. But you start advocating for donuts, alcohol, or whatever. Some people are like, hey, Jocelyn said it's okay. Yeah, So they, they start freaking yep. pounding donuts every week, you know. Can't do that kind of stuff. Because
1: moderation can be subjective. Yes, exactly (laughs) I'll only eat five a week instead of ten. I ate less today (laughs) than I did yesterday, so whatever, you know. Wait, you're vegan, right? Yeah. Now, are donuts vegan? Some are. And there is a pop-up in Hawaii Uh Mm -hmm. that only opens up for four hours on the weekends and it's first come first serve. And they usually sell out in the first hour vegan donuts and they are, I will show you pictures afterward. They are the most heavenly luxuriously (laughs) like, Oh my gosh. You you just look at it and it's like a whole meal in one donut. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a totally different situation. Where do you get your protein from? Um, I take, uh, I I drink protein Mm. shakes every day, uh, and it's primarily coming from a pea protein source. Um, I used to do whey protein, but I- How long have you been a vegan for? uh, Probably the last, I don't know, four or five years, vegetarian my whole life, and then-
0: Ethical
1: reasons, environmental um, reasons, spiritual reasons? All of the above. Have you had a steak before? No, no. I feel like I want to talk And that response. That response is a response that I've gotten most often especially in the military, but it's like um it's not I'm it's not something I've ever had. So it's like you saying that I have no desire uh-huh. whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Rogan rog- I I met Rogan for uh lunch or dinner or whatever one day with with some of his friends and they went to what's the what's the Brazilian Fogo, Fogo de Chão. Yeah and wrote, I, it was he didn't really comment it on the time, but he mentioned recently in a podcast, he's like, we went there and all she ate was salad. How yeah. is that even possible? <laughs> but it's just, it's not something, you know, there's no, there's no craving, I guess. That's, That's
2: interesting you guys just discuss because you know, diet, mm-hmm. how to raise kids, um, I think exercise might be another one. Religion and politics; those are the the hot button subjects. So we're, so we're covering all of them. Th- th- yeah, yeah I, but this much. is the one you guys are opposed to. That's the thing. But I
1: think I think uh. this is this is like a good example though, because it's one thing to say, you know, like, "Hey, this is my choice for my life and my lifestyle." Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to go around saying every single person in the world has to follow my exact life choices in all of those examples that you just mentioned if we hung
0: out more like if if i moved back to hawaii and uh (laughs) and we were hanging out more would you kind of start to be like hey you know man why are you eating all that steak do you think you would to try and help me
1: uh not unless you were saying hey tulsi i feel like shit Mm. and my body's not functioning what would you advise or what's working for you but otherwise no
0: that's kind of good cuz then that's what i was thinking too as you were saying that, i was thinking if you said to me like hey i don't feel that good i feel mm-hmm. lethargic i'd be like hey we're going out for steak <laughs> 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 uh all right um what else echo charles so that's the shirt lockers yep. stuff Jocko like store. this yep subscribe uh com. this is the platform that we made in case we get kicked off of other platforms straight up. That's what's going on. That's
1: the reality yeah.
0: of what we face. And so if you go to jockunderground.com you can get on that platform. It costs eight dollars and eighteen cents a month.
1: How'd and you choose that number, by the way? I've always been curious. Should we, should we Is it an area code thing mm, or no,
2: the, <laughs> Well, actually put it this way, there there was the first reason, the primary reason, and then there's like a secondary reason that that sh- that shuffled like right in there as well. The secondary reason is uh from the Bible it's like current sufferings don't outweigh future glory, something like mm-hmm. this. And then but the primary reason was hardcore recondos. Yeah, it's H uh, R. It's the okay. eighth
0: letter in the and the eighteenth, which we've which we've never divulged until this moment. Yeah. Wow. So that's what yep. it is. The hardcore recondos Bo- out both there. Both
1: of those are pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. meanings. There we are. Yep. And
0: look, if you can't afford that, which I get it's tight times and they're gonna get tighter, there's a recession. Am I allowed to say there's a recession coming?
1: I think there are a lot of economists who would agree <laughs> with you. Uh,
0: if times get too tight and you can't afford it, just email email uh, assistance at jockunderground dot com. We'll get you hooked up there. You and, and check out Tulsi's Substack. Sub yep. Where they just Google Substack? Tulsi,
1: if you go on Substack and you just put in Tulsi, Tulsi or Tulsi Gabbard, how much does it, it cost? Pop does it cost um, almost everything I put up is not behind a paywall. Um, if you wanna kinda get in on the conversation, I think it's like six bucks a month or something How'd like that. How'd you come up with that number, six bucks a month? Uh, it's just the average of what's out there. Okay. I don't have a Bible verse to back <laughs> it up. <Dang. laughs> <too bad>. Clearly <laughs> a missed <Yeah>. opportunity. <laughs> All right, You know, i just given
0: you that opportunity. Then YouTube. We got the Jocko podcast the YouTube channel. Yep. And Origin USA YouTube channel. And then The Tulsi Gabbard Show, I think, is your YouTube channel. Yep. Yep. And subscribe to that.
1: Everywhere you get your podcasts, um, these platforms are growing. They're new. And so for people, if you watch or you listen and you like it, uh, subscribe, leave a rating, and, and share it with others.
0: That's the plan. Psychological warfare is out there. Yep. You need that <laughs>
2: you Need that Jocko uh, influence.
0: Maybe I need some Jocko uh, discipline to make a new one of those. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. That's you need to ask me some of those questions. What's like good, for
2: the, good, good mm-hmm. for the goose is good for the uh, other guy. Uh, yeah. FlipsideCanvas.com,
0: Dakota Myers Company. Bunch of books. A bunch of, I've written a bunch of books. Only Cry for the Living um, by Holiday. okay Again, great, yeah.
1: great Christmas gifts. Oh, there you I think you go. people are looking, I mean, you know, it's just like, I, you know, when I think of gifts that I want to give people, Mm -hmm. they should be gifts of meaning and substance, ideally, rather than just something that is cheap and can be easily thrown away and become part of a landfill somewhere. Yeah. That's what I think, you know, books are good. These books are are fantastic. Some of the things you're talking about earlier, because for me, I I actually you know you you can get audio books and you know, uh, eBooks and all that. But I'm one of those people who like, if I'm taking notes and getting ready for a TV interview, I'll look at what's on the computer. And then I actually sit there and actually write it down. There's something about reading words on the page that, um, you can keep going back to, you can highlight, you can kind of bend the, the corner of the page over and know that that's something that you can use and keep going back to. Yeah. Time. I am a
0: huge physical books guy. And, um, there's definitely some sort of rote memorization that happens or absorption that happens when you write stuff down, you highlight it and all that stuff. So yeah, you can get all these books for Christmas for somebody and they can really help. I'll tell you what, honestly, just get get the kids you know. Get the kids you know the Warrior Kid books. Yep, Just to help them with life. It'll help them in so many different ways. And there's so much, look, we spent the first, I don't know, 40 minutes today talking about all the negative influence that there is out there on kids and social media. Don't let them be exposed to that. Or if they do get exposed to it, let them have some kind of a grounding and a foundation to think through what's going on and get on the right path as a human being. Weigh the warrior kid. One, two, three, four, five is coming, by the way. oh damn, Yeah, it's called letters from Uncle Jake. So there you go. Echelon Front Leadership Consultancy. Go to echelonfront.com for details if you need help inside your organization, whatever organization that is. Let us know, we can help you. We have some live events. Orlando, April 3rd through the 5th, and Dallas, October 18th through the 20th. We've sold out every one of these that we've ever done. So if you wanna go, get in early. Um, We have an online training, extremeownership.com. It's an online platform training in leadership. Leadership is not something you learn in the day. You can't just go to Tulsi's army course on leadership and like, oh, now you're good to go. It's not gonna happen, no offense to Tulsi, but it takes more than that. You're gonna have, it's gonna take time. So if you, it's like going to the gym. If you wanna go to the gym for leadership, you wanna go to the gym for life, go to extremeownership.com. If you wanna help service members active and retire, active and retired, you wanna help their families, Gold Star families, check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee, she's got a charity organization. If you want to donate or you want to get involved, go to americasmightywarriors.org and also heroesandhorses.org where Micah Fink has taken taken people up into the wilderness so they can find themselves on horseback getting into the wilderness. So check that out as well. If you want to connect with Tulsi on the interwebs, tulsigabbard.com on social media, on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. She's at Tulsi Gabbard on YouTube, at Tulsi Gabbard Show. And she's got her podcast, and she's got her Substack that we talked about. So check all that as well. And as far as Echo and I are concerned, Echo's at Echo so Charles, I am at Jocko Link. But listen, the algorithm, <laughs> just watch out for the algorithm, because <laughs> yeah. it is definitely looking to grab you. Yep. And they're looking to brainwash you. And if you go into it knowing that they're looking to brainwash you, that's a good step in the right direction. Huge. But if you go into it thinking that you're getting smarter because of this, that's a bad situation that you're getting yourself into. So just please be careful. Be careful with the social media. Use it. Use it for something positive though. And only use it for a limited amount of time. All right, please. There you go. Tulsi, any closing thoughts for us?
1: Um, God, we covered a lot. It's great to see you guys. Great to be back. Um, yeah, I, 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 just to, to add on to what you just said, you know, don't underestimate the power of your own voice, understand the responsibility that each of us has on the impact that we make in the world and know that the choices we make every day, uh, can lead to having a positive or negative impact. So be an independent thinker, be discerning, and be intentional with the choices that you make, both for yourself and for those around you.
0: Sounds like a plan. Um, thanks for joining us again.
1: Thank you. I'm sure we'll
0: see you again. Thanks for your service in the Army. Thanks for your service in Congress. Thanks for your service in America. And, and now I guess thank you for your service to the world as you try and help people <laughs> by spreading aloha worldwide (laughs) (laughs) and uh, Thanks to all of our service members around the world in the army Navy Air Force Marines Thank you for protecting our freedom same goes here at home to our police and law enforcement firefighters paramedics EMTs dispatchers correctional officers Border Patrol Secret Service all first responders. Thanks for what you do on a daily basis to keep us safe here at home and everyone else out there the world is a crazy place right now and it will drive you crazy if you let it my recommendation is that you remain sane <laughs> that you stay balanced that you don't let bots or provocateurs or trolls get into your head instead listen but question what you hear try and understand what's going on and then go do some jiu-jitsu And then, like Tulsi, go spread some of that aloha spirit. (laughs) And until next time, this is Tulsi and Echo and Jocko. Out.